Dig into left center, and what a play made by the rookie Brian O'Grady. Pitch. Oh, into right field. Brian O'Grady, first big league home run. Fly ball, center field struck well. Marisnik going back at the wall. Welcome back, Brian O'Grady. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 30 of Breaking Bass, presented to you by Not For Long Media. I'm your host, Brian O'Grady, and with me, as always, my co-host, Justin Ayers. Before we get started, I got to I gotta say on here uh, a big thank you to Justin for knocking everything out on his own last week. That was huge. I was uh, having... Having some some things going on, so Justin did it all by himself, which I very, very much appreciate. He's the best, and without him, this podcast would be nothing. So thank you, Justin. I appreciate it, brother. appreciate you, brother, and how you doing today? I know you're tired. Very tired. Uh, a lot of <laughs> stuff a lot of stuff going on in, in my life, but I do appreciate the kind words. That, that mean a lot. Uh, yeah, it was fun last week. I got to do my solo radio, my Colin Cowherd edition of the Breaking Bats podcast. So uh, hopefully it turned out okay. And yeah, it's 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 cool to have that ability to do that because sometimes we think about the cowherds or you know these guys that are the gym rooms that do solo radio for all these years, uh, and we forget how hard it is to just talk to yourself uh, about stuff like that. So um, you know, knock the rust off a little bit, break that skill out again, but. No problem doing that. I'm glad you're back, though, buddy. Happy to have you. And uh, we have a lot of stuff in the baseball world, and we also have a conversation uh, with uh, a very cool, hopefully recurring guest to this podcast, which we will we'll talk about uh, briefly. But, yeah, wel- welcome back. It's, it's great to have you. Thanks, man. Good to be back. Um, yeah, it is not easy. As you know, uh, I'm a Colin Cowherd guy. And as you know, I'm not really sure why, but I am. So, uh I, I appreciate that stuff, and we got a lot going on this week. And yeah, the interview was great. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but uh, let's uh, let's talk about who this episode is first sponsored by before we get into everything. Of course. So this episode of the Breaking Bats podcast is brought to you by your friends at Psalm Sleep. Uh, if you're like me and you have trouble getting enough sleep at night, Psalm Sleep has you covered. The scientifically advanced Psalm snack includes ingredients that are naturally found in your body like GABA, magnesium, and melatonin. Sleep is the best form of recovery, and it's helped people everywhere take their games to the next level. Uh, it's simple. All you have to do is drink one serving just 30 minutes before you go to bed, and your body will naturally calm itself down. Other sleep supplements leave you feeling groggy in the morning, but not Psalm sleep. Wake up feeling refreshed and ready to conquer the day. Go to GetSom.com, click shop, and enter the code BATS. That's B-A-T-S. At checkout for 10% off your entire order of Psalm Sleep. Uh, in the news category this week, uh, we have uh, some pretty cool, like big overarching topics that are affecting the game of baseball right now. Uh, Aaron Judge. We'll, we'll start with Aaron Judge and the historic, you know, record setting pace that he's on in terms of home runs. Uh, so Aaron Judge hit his 54th home run of the season the other day. Um, he's actually, I think he's tied Alex Rodriguez for the most home runs in a single season by a right handed batter in Yankees history. So, you know, even if he doesn't hit another one, he can always hang his hat on. Uh, I, I tied A-Rod for right-handed Yankee batter. Um, but that's not the record we're interested in about. We really want to figure out if he's going to get that 61, that Roger Maris number. As of now, with his 54th home run, he's on pace for 65. Good God. Uh, the Yankees have, I think, 26 games left 
maybe 25, depending on the day, the day you're listening to this. It's been incredible. I feel like every time I look, he has another one. This guy's pace and his war entering Monday, which was eight and a half, which, uh, I, yeah, <laughs> yes. Eight and a half war and the season's not even done yet. We have a month left. So, um, yeah, the, the pace that Aaron Judge is on is, is insane. Um, you know, I think we had a conversation a couple weeks back about could he get to 61? I think it's more so a matter of when he'll get to 61. Am I right? Yeah, I said at the time that he would get to 60. And that's crazy. It was crazy then when I said it, and I, I know I was saying it at the time, but now it's even crazier. I mean, he just – I think he's homered in like three straight games. I mean, he just – swing is so good. He's he's obviously very big and powerful. So he just barrels it up, man, and it's going. But he barrels it up consistently. So <sighs> – I can't wait to see where the number ends. But this guy, man, talk about making yourself some money. They say, uh, they say one win is worth like eight million dollars. So his war is at eight and a half. So I'm not a math guy, but eight times eight, I believe, is sixty-four. So I don't know if he's going to get sixty-four a season, but he's uh just looking better and better for turning down whatever contract the Yankees offered him at the time. And you know, I'm a proponent of guys getting paid and, and taking money, but it's definitely looking like judge did the right thing here. And honestly, throughout the year, if the Yankees didn't have him, it, it would not be good, but truly since the injuries really started to pile up and they've kind of had their, I'm not going to say collapse, but their big downturn, losing Carpenter and, and and other guys. If they didn't have him, man, they would maybe not be leading the AL East at all at this point. I mean, I think they're five games up now, and it was at 15 at one point. Uh, the Tampa series, he, he was scored or knocked in, like was, was responsible for all three runs they scored something ridiculous like in the series. So man, what a season he's having. And and I would love to see him hit 65 or whatever it is. I'd love to say, I hope he hits 60. Be, uh, it'd be great to see. I went back and looked and I, I forgot what the exact number was of the contract he turned down, but just to remind everybody out there, this is what betted on yourself looks like. He turned down eight years and 230 and a half million dollars. Uh, and you know, he's going to go out there and he's going to go break Roger Maris's home run record. So that's, that's in the biz, what we like to call betting on yourself and having it pay off. So, uh, I looked, he, he had a, a so after not homering in a season long nine game stretch, he's now hit eight home runs in his last 13 games. I think this article's from yesterday, but, um, yeah, I mean, that's the, this guy is, it's insane. The kind of run he's been on. I just can't wait for this off season. I can't wait for all the Yankees fans to lose their mind when he eventually signs with somebody other than them, maybe the crosstown rival Mets, maybe the Orioles, which we, you know, we tease in our interview today with Ryan Ripken, never say never. They want to open up the checkbook, but uh, I cannot wait for the season to end and figure out where he's going to go. Cause it ain't New York. They, it, it has, it, it, the Yankees have to resign him. I just can't even comprehend. Like if, if you're not going to pay that guy, who are you going to pay? Because he is, can obviously handle New York. He he's he's like the captain there. He's got a, a great personality for it. He's super low key. Like 
I mean, he's responsible. You're not, you're not, you don't worry about him going out and making bad decisions and making the headlines, you know, for something stupid. Like, and he's going to hit all these homers. Like, who, I don't, if you don't pay him, who are you going to pay? Who are you going to pay? He is like, he's it. How could it not be him? So, and listen, I would love to see him mix it up and end up somewhere else. That would be insane. But, if you're the Yankees, have to. They have to. They have no choice. And he can just sit there with like his feet up on the desk and be like, "Nah, four hundred sounds pretty good." <laughs> unbelievable. Good for him. Good be for thirty him. years old. Yeah, just demand a ten-year deal. I, anything <laughs> yeah. he demands, the back end of that will be horrific. But it'll be like, hey, you know what? What are you gonna do? Let me walk. Is that, is exactly. that what you want to do? Um. So I can't wait for the offseason in that. But the other thing with Aaron Judge right now is. AL MVP conversation because you're right. You mentioned in, the, in your little explanation there was like, if the Yankees don't have Aaron Judge, where would they be? Like right now, you're at they have a five game lead over the Rays right now. They're 81 and 54 as of taping uh, on Tuesday night. But it's like, yeah, you're right. If if Judge wasn't there, if, you know, I don't know what their record would look like. But the same could probably you know not be said for Shohei Otani because he's on the the LA Angels and they stink. The Angels are 59 and 76 and they're 28 games out of first. And they have Mike Trout. So the two best players of baseball can't help that team. But it's an interesting conversation with MVP because it's like, and it always comes up where it's like, could you give it to the best player on a bad team? You know, and there's always going to be a debate. MLB Network will put that, probably have that here coming soon where it'll be like, well, you know, um, the, the most valuable player is only valuable on a team that's good. So, um, you know, Shohei this year, 258 ERA on the mound. And at the plate, he has 32 homers and he's batting 270. So uh, we were talking a little bit about this before we started recording, but um, there should probably just be like the Babe Ruth award for the best, you know, two-way player, because if we're just going to give it to Shohei every year because he pitches, it's not kind of not fair to judge. Yes. And this is, this is exactly what I was saying to you before. I don't, what, what Otani does is truly amazing. It really is to pitch and hit at the level that he does is just absurd. There's no other way to put it. There's nobody else that's ever done it. I don't think anybody else will ever do it. He's just, he's a freak and there's no doubt about it, but giving like, (laughs) I I said this to you too. I don't want to knock him because he's so good at both. Like, but you're going to – does he just get MVP every year because he pitches too? You know, um, if he has solid numbers as a hitter, I mean, those are, those are good numbers. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong. Those are good numbers. But they're not, they're not judges' numbers. Um, and judges' team is better. But I don't – in my opinion – you can get an MVP being on a bad team. I, if your numbers warrant that, I'd still, you know, still think you should win. But in this season in particular, I don't think Otani should be the most valuable player. I think it should be Judge. I think Judge's season has been unbelievable. I think truly the Yankees, if you take him out of that lineup, I don't know what kind of team they would have been the entire year, even when healthy, without him. But, yeah, the Otani thing, man, is just – it's just really interesting to me because I fight like 
myself. It's, it's just so amazing what he does, but at the same time, I don't like the idea that just because he does both all like he has to win the MVP every year. I don't, I don't think that's fair to um, whoever else has a phenomenal season, Uh, you know, like, but I, I honestly, this year, I think judge has is doing enough that it's really not, it's not going to be that much of a debate. I, I think that's the only way to really settle this argument is if Judge continues to lead the league in all these offensive categories, which he is, there's like he's either leading the league, he's either leading the American League or leading baseball in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine categories offensively this year. So, um, you know, what he's doing with the bat right now is pretty special. I think it warrants an MVP. But yeah, you're right. If you want to take into consideration Otani and, and the pitching has been fantastic, the hitting has been good, but it's not Judge level. So, um, I, I can't wait for that debate again in the off season. This the off season pods we're going to have this year are going to be, be great. There's, there's not going to be any shortage of things to talk about because between MVP where Judge will go, you know, there's just I, we could we could sit here for we could do like a three hour off season special probably on all of these things. So um, it, it's really it's really going to be interesting to watch down the stretch. Um, talk about somebody who deserves an MVP in our minds, in our hearts and minds. It's Pete Fairbanks of your Tampa Bay Rays. He's our MVP. Uh, just for the incredible stats that he's been putting up, um, yeah, Brian, you had a couple. We're, let's just do. Let's just throw out our favorite Pete stats. What, what are your favorite Pete stats? Yeah, so Pete obviously is. Excuse me. He's been he's been injured a good amount this year, but he is he is disgusting. Uh, has been since since I met him. You know, before all the whatever two thousand. 20 whatever it was and before he really was like a, a bigger name um he's very tall he comes right at you straight over the top and it's just hard hard fastball and hard slider it's it's just nasty stuff and he's been getting better and better and so his his stats for the for this season again was hurt for unfortunately for a good amount of the year, but right now he's at 17 and two thirds. He's got 26 strikeouts to only one walk, which is bonkers and a good for a one, five, three ERA. And the stack cast numbers basically have him as the best pitcher, but mostly relief pitcher. Jacob DeGrom's on this list because he's absolutely ridiculous, but, 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 uh, Statcast has him as like the best pitcher in baseball. Uh, his opponent's weighted bag average is at 188, which trails only Emmanuel Class A and Jacob DeGrom, who are at 170. But his expected uh, opponent's weighted bag average is at 157, which is good for first and beating the people who are tied for second are Edwin Diaz and Emmanuel Class A, and they're at 206. So Pete is a good margin ahead of. Edwin Diaz and Emmanuel Class A, um, which is obviously crazy. I mean, he's been lights out since, since he's been healthy, and hopefully we're going to have him back on here soon. But, yeah, Pete's, Pete's doing it, man. He's he's killing it right now. And I know what, – what was the other stat that you had for him? So, so his first two appearances, he allowed one run and then he allowed two runs on July 22nd in his second appearance back from injury. Since then, he hasn't allowed a run. Uh, it's so, I mean, that's July 22nd was the last time P Fairbanks allowed somebody you know to score. 
But I mean, yeah, is this this is just a fun like if you want to go have fun, just look at his baseball reference page. It's just all these fun stats for like the month of August. I think he had three hits given up. Um, yeah, he had three hits and no runs in the month of August. So, um, yeah, I, I love every time he puts the, the you know the highlights on his Instagram story. I get a kick out of that because he is shoving right now. Um, yeah, I would love to have seen what would happen if we get a full year of Pete Fairbanks pitching like this, though. That might be a Cy Young conversation. If the numbers were like this, it definitely, it definitely would be. Um, Pete, uh, seriously, I think Pete's just going to get better and better. He is um, actually a very good athlete. Uh, if you see him in person, you maybe not think that right away, but he really is. And I don't mean that in a bad way. He's just tall and like okay. he's yeah. Uh, you got to know. You got to you got to really know Pete. But Pete's a very good athlete. And he's, I feel like he's really just figuring out how to pitch. Like he's just, uh, his raw talent is, is so good. But since he's gotten to the Rays, it's just like little by little, it's just been like, oh shit, like, here we go. This dude is, he's getting it. And it's just more and more. And uh, he's very smart as, as, as you know, from <laughs> talking to him on here. So he knows how to implement those things and, and how to work on those things. And it's paying off, and I love it because he's the best. And, yeah, he's clearly one of the nastiest guys in baseball, and that makes me very happy. Absolutely. Yeah, it'd be even more fun in, in the month of October watching the Rays make a, their little playoff run there because we're going to see uh, we're, we're gonna see some Pete Fairbanks electricity come the month of October. Oh. I can't wait for that. <laughs> Talk about electric, yes. Pete, Pete, doesn't, uh, Pete doesn't hold back. That's another reason I love it. It would be even more electric though if he came out to Mr. Brightside and he, if he got over his whole like you know thing against using that as a walkout song. You get burned by it once, I get it, but bring it back, Pete. The people want it. Th- this person wants it. <laughs> Secret crowds is doing it right now. At I least know. I think he's still using that. He's got me hooked on them, by the way. Great song. I actually Great enjoy. Their, I actually enjoy that band now because of him. So shout out Pete uh, for uh, <laughs> for getting me hooked on his new music. Um, a couple more things for you guys. Uh, we have our fudging awesome moment of the week. Yeah, our fudging moment, <laughs> fudging awesome moment of the week is brought to you by our sponsor, the original Fudge Kitchen. You can find them at fudgekitchens with an s.com. Uh, they're making sweet treats, saltwater taffy, fudge. They ship all over the country. So you can order them online. For our Jersey Shore people, man, and Philly people, I'm sorry that Labor Day weekend just happened and that's kind of the that's kind of the end there. But if you still find yourself down there, they have locations in Stone Harbor, Wildwood, North Wildwood, Ocean City, <clears throat> and Cape May. So go in, check them out. That's the original Fudge Kitchen. And if not, you can order online at fudgekitchenswithans.com. It's the best. Can't wait to get some when I get home. So we have a cool one this week. Uh, so you may have heard of Roger Clemens, you know, baseball legend Roger Clemens. Um, he has a son named Cody who plays for the Detroit Tigers. He's mostly an infielder. He's also a relief pitcher when called upon. And uh, our fudging awesome moment of the week this week has to do with his relief pitching because he struck out none other than the reigning AL MVP himself, Shohei Otani. Uh, so the Tigers were getting blown out 10 to nothing uh, on Monday night's game. And they put Cody in to pitch. And I think he threw, it was like a 68 mile an hour EFIS pitch, struck Otani out on it. He was so giddy with excitement that he had the ball in his hand. He's like, can we, can I toss this in and get it? Like, can I keep this ball? 
And he did. He tossed it in. It got it verified by Major League Baseball. And the coolest part, little added wrinkle to this story that I saw a couple hours ago was, uh, I think he put it on his Instagram story, is that Shohei signed the ball for him. So Shohei <laughs> autographed the ball. Um, I'll have to pull up. I think he said, like, this pitch was nasty or you got nasty stuff or something he wrote on the ball. Um, so it's a great time to be Cody Clemens. I love whenever these uh, infielders come in and strike people out on ephuses and, and junk pitching because it's hilarious to watch. But to be the son of probably the best pitcher of all time and to do it, it's pretty good. So, uh, Ryan, if you struck somebody out, you absolutely would want that ball back, right? Oh, yeah. If you, that's that's amazing. Good on Otani for, for doing that, too. That's cool. Uh, listen, people think when position players come in the pitch that it's easy to hit off them. And I'm here to tell you that it's not because it's totally different than what you're used to. And there's way more pressure because everyone's like, if you don't, if you strike out or something, you look like an idiot. So, uh, Otani, and if I was pitching to Otani, I would like softball, throw it in there and then like run backwards away from the mound because that's, yeah, that's like my biggest fear to do that. And then just because as a hitter, you know, Pitcher doesn't look that close. If you looks if 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 you get in the box and he looks close, it's not going to be a good day. So you're pretty you're you're pretty used to that distance. But like when I'm on the infield and there's a pitch and change or something, and I'm like standing on the mound. I look at home plate and I'm like, holy shit, this is close. Like we are not far away. So if I ever pitched, I'd be way too scared because I think someone's just going to hit a line drive right back at me. <laughs> I didn't even so think about point. that. Yeah, that's. 60 feet, six inches probably isn't, it seems far to me, but to actually be out there and to be looking at it, it's, it probably doesn't seem that far at all. Um, I looked and it, so yeah, Cody Clemens put it on his Instagram story. Otani signed the ball and he said, what a nasty pitch with an exclamation mark. Um, <laughs> That's so, awesome. Good, good sense of humor for, uh, for Shohei there, but yeah, <clears throat> shout out Cody Clemens. I would have thought Cody Clemens would have been a, a full-time pitcher. I didn't know much about him before this, but the fact that he's an infielder is surprising. I would have thought it'd been like dad. You know, to each their own. I think they're. I think, I think Clemens has another son who played either played professionally or um, is still playing professionally. I believe, and I believe both of them were hitters. I don't think either of them were pitchers. Oh, I think you're right. Yeah, Kobe Clemens. He's a catcher, third baseman, and first baseman. Uh, yeah, I don't think any of them pitched. He's significantly older. Yeah, he's and he, he was drafted in the eighth round in 2005. Um, he is definitely not playing anymore. Oh, that he was the one that got to play. Remember the Sugarland Skeeters, like the independent league, and that was when Clemens got to play. Clemens, Roger Clemens, pitched, and his son was on the team. So that's how oh, okay. Yeah, fun little fun gotcha. little back there. And that was uh, Clemens family trivia. So that was another segment I wanted to break <laughs> out. <laughs> um, Love that. Last but not least for you guys this week, we have our top five. Uh, and so the day that we're taping this, September 6th, it's actually the 27th anniversary of Cal Ripken breaking Lou Gehrig's consecutive games played record, which I didn't even, we didn't even plan this because uh, the guest we have this week is actually, uh, it's, it's his son, Ryan. So, <laughs> but we did unintentionally uh, plan that out pretty good there. Um, but in honor of, you know, probably the most untouchable of all baseball records, uh, we're going to be doing the top five most impressive records in baseball history. Uh, we're going to be doing both single season and career. So uh, I will start us off with my number five. It's going to be Ichiro Suzuki's 262 hits in one season. People forget that's that's an absurd amount of hits for a season. And when he did that, 
he broke the record that had been set in 1920 by George Sisler, who had 257. So uh, shout out Ichiro. I think that was his first year in, in the MLBs when he did that. It's insane. Uh, so that's my number five. Number four, I have Joe DiMaggio. I have 56-game hitting streak. We have like these things pop up throughout the year. Maybe we'll see a 20-game streak. Somebody will get lucky, maybe get to 30. But Joe DiMaggio to have 56 games in a row with a hit is insane. So I, I think that's another very impressive stat record. Uh, number three is going to be Pete Rose. Most career hits, 4,256. This guy played, I think he also holds the most games played record too. He played forever. So that's the only way that people are, are going to be, you know, the only way to break it is to play in a lot of games. You get a lot of hits, but I mean, nobody's going to touch Pete Rose's 4256. Uh, so that is, that is very impressive. Number two, it's going to be Barry Bonds, 762 career home runs. People are getting close to it now. I get it. Albert Pujols is chasing down 700. You know, Hank Aaron was only, I think, seven or off. But for Barry Bonds to hit that many home runs, I mean, that's, that's pretty impressive. Steroids or no steroids, he's still got to make contact and swing the bat. So uh, that's, you know, that Barry Bonds should also be in the Hall of Fame. Um, Pete Rose, definitely not. Number one on my most impressive baseball records, it's going to be the Iron Man himself. It's going to be Cal Ripken Jr.'s 2,632 consecutive games played, 16 seasons it took him to get that. I mean, like, this is a record that nobody could even sniff nowadays. The only person I can remember that got remotely close was Miguel Tejada. He had 1,152, and, like, that was a big deal. It's like, oh, could could Miguel Tejada break Cal Ripken, you know, both Orioles, whatever? No, he didn't. So it's, you know, 26-32 is something that will never be broken. That's a lot of consecutive games. So uh, no days off. Shout out Cal Ripken Jr., the Iron Man. Um, that is my top five. What do you think? I, I, these are, these are just ridiculous. All of them. They're, I don't think, I don't think any of them are going to be touched ever. So it's really just picking which one's more of a joke than the other one. But yeah, uh, going down the list, Ichiro, we, this, this is the one that really stood out to me because I knew, I really knew about the other ones. I didn't realize Ichiro had 262 hits in a season. That is so many hits. It's 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 amazing. I don't think nowadays just don't see that one being broken. And yeah, he broke the record that was set in 1920. So uh I don't think I don't think that's happening. That's uh that's playing in just you know, probably every game or very, very close to every game and having almost multiple hits in every single one of those games. Ridiculous. Uh, DiMaggio, 56-game hitting streak. I don't – that's that's being a really good hitter, and that's also having some serious luck, too. I just don't see that happening again. Uh, Bonds, the homers, in, in, insane. Should be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, oh, I skipped Pete Rose, though. But Pete Rose, yeah, that's playing forever, forever, and having – Tons of hits forever too, and just never that skill never diminishing. So good for good for him. Ridiculous, yeah. Bonds, unreal. Should be in the Hall of Fame. Those homers, what a joke. Arguably the scary, not arguably, probably probably the scariest hitter of all time. His his numbers were, I mean, his on base percentage was like six thirteen one year. I'm pretty sure is, is the exact number, which is just an absolute joke. That is. <laughs> that he he like it was intentionally walked like sixty times or something. I mean, it's just they intentionally walked him with the bases loaded. Are you kidding me? Oh, and sure. a major in a 
in a major league baseball game. They said, just fucking put them on. Who cares? Uh, just well, Tony take LaRusso, the run. Tony LaRusso yeah, accidentally does that now. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, with the bases loaded, they don't, they're like, yeah, what, what, you get it. I know we're giving up a run, but he's Barry Bonds. So just put them on. Okay. That's, <laughs> that is like the ultimate. I don't even know how that would feel. It feels good when you get intentionally walked when they're like, hey, we got a base open. Just put this, put them on there. Forget it. You're like, yeah, you don't want to fucking fish today. That's right. But the base is loaded. You have to be like, just on cloud nine. Like, holy shit, they're that scared of me that they just walked the guy in instead of pitching to me. Mitigate our losses on this one. Yeah, we'll just keep it going. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then Cal Ripley, dude, 200 or 2,632 games played. 16 years like that is it's never going to happen because now they're you know guys they just give a guy a day off or whatever it's just it's yeah it's just never going to be touched and i can't even imagine i'd love to talk to him about that like just one-on-one you know like how'd you how are you actually like how's your body feeling going through because that it dude that's insane like you know it it's to never have something to keep you off the field in that in 16 years. Crazy. And I'm sure he had things that really were bothering him too. So the toughness that comes with that, man, crazy. Good for him. That's never going to be touched. Yeah. I mean, like I was, I was going to say, like, you, you know, the grind of baseball, you know, like the wear and tear the the, the nagging injuries that happen throughout the course of a season. So yeah, to do it for 16 straight and not take a day off and always be penciled in the lineup for that many years, it's, It'll never be done, and it's one of the coolest things that doesn't get talked about enough in terms of baseball. Um, I did want to clean up a couple of things that we mentioned in there in case anybody wants to try to nitpick us. Uh, Ichiro had 262 hits in 2004, so that was his fourth season. Uh, it was his first season. He had 242, and that was when he, he won an MVP and Rookie of the Year. Um, if Ichiro, like, if you want to count international hits, he is the all-time hits leader because combined his Japanese with, with American, he has 4,367 that's like over a hundred more than Pete Rose's. So shout out Ichiro, the true hit king. Um, Barry Bonds' highest on base was 609 one year. He had 120 intentional walks in, in 2004. <laughs> that's, that's what? That is crazy. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Laugh. That's what it is. That's Barry Bonds is like baseball reference page. His and Tony Gwynn's. If you just want to go like nerd out on baseball stats, I highly recommend just going through and looking at the numbers. Because, like, Tony Gwynn had, like, more doubles and strikeouts in his career. So, you know. Gwynn, Gwynn's another one. That's yeah. – the numbers are crazy. The strikeout stuff with Gwynn is, is laugh out loud funny. And people are – that's where – that's where you get the people are like, well, well, be like Tony Gwynn. You know, he <laughs> – well, he did it. There's, fun, there's one fucking Tony Gwynn. There's not a yep. whole bunch of Tony Gwynn's walking around, you know. <laughs> like, uh, so that's why Tony Gwynn was really the only one to do that. But – yeah, Bonds, man. I mean, this is again off season. We can get into all sorts of podcasts on this, but like Bonds, in his heyday, man, he nobody was pitching to him, right? And his eye was so good, everything. His swing was so efficient. His timing was so good. Like he got one pitch to hit, and when he did, he hit it over the fucking fence, and that, that's like that was it. And then he would walk because they just wouldn't pitch to him. And it's so, like, as a player, I think fans appreciate it to an extent, but, like, as a player and as a hitter, the 
discipline and just everything that goes into that is just otherworldly. So Bonds, man, just an absolute freak show of a, of a hitter. People are getting close to that home run record, though. Like, it's not as untouchable as the other ones that we've talked about. Um, you know, it, there's not that big of a difference, like a gap drop-off kind of situation yeah. between him and the other ones, but um, impressive nonetheless. I, I, I think anybody who is be, who's going to be doing these top fives would have to put the King Barry Bonds on there. Uh, and I'm sure Jared Carabas likes that too. Cause you know, maybe, maybe they've connected <laughs> on Instagram since we've last talked to Jared. I, wait, uh, sorry. I know we get, you gotta wrap this up, but, uh, I'm pretty sure if I remember right, that he put out there that bonds finally the Instagram either like followed him back. Like some, there was some sort I of like right. mingling there. Yeah. And I re- I forgot about that, but I remember when you said that, I think they, he put it up that Bonds followed him back or, or like liked his comment, like respond, like something happened there. So he finally got something out of this. I, you know what? I think you're right. We'll have to confirm that for next week's pod. Uh, so stay tuned. It's like a serial podcast. So it's like, it's like a mystery. It's like, what did Barry do to, to, you know, Jared Carabas's Instagram. So um, stay tuned next week, but I, I think you're right. I think there was some kind of traction in that, in that area. Um, so but funny. we have one last ad though, before we talk a little bit about our interview for this week, Ryan Ripken, uh, we wanted to give a shout out to friend of the podcast actions over words. They're an apparel brand with the mission of encouraging people to use their actions instead of their words founded in Cape May, New Jersey by Alec Levin. Who's a great dude. Uh, actions over word donates $5 of each sale to different charities around the world. So check them out at actionsoverwordsapparel.com and use the code N4L for 10% off your entire order uh, of tees, hats, hoodies, a lot of great stuff. Uh, so definitely check our friends out over at Actions Over Words. Uh, we talked a little bit about our interview for this week. Uh, it's none other than Ryan Ripkin, you know, recently retired uh, minor league baseball player for the Orioles, for the Nationals. Um, really cool conversation. Like really, like we got into a lot of great baseball topics. How much fun was it getting to chop it up with our guy, Ryan Ripken? Yeah, Ryan was awesome. Uh, what a great dude. Very insightful about all sorts of things. Obviously, uh, very attached to the the Baltimore area and the Orioles there and playing for him. But it was cool to talk about, like, get his perspective on what was going on with the Orioles now and how well they're playing and just kind of like the general overview of all that stuff. Uh yeah, we got deep into it on on a lot of stuff, and it just the Julio Rodriguez stuff. I mean, it went all over the place, and and yeah, we went we went deep on all sorts of things. So it was uh, just a really good conversation, and you know, he's uh, he wants to be kind of in that sports media world, and I think he's great. I think he's well spoken, and I think he's very, as I said, insightful on, on a lot of things, and. Uh, well on his way to to be doing whatever it is that that he wants to do with it. But I, I, I really enjoyed it, man. I hope we get him back on here in the, in the future for sure. Yeah, I mean, whatever he does, like, full-time in his post-playing career, career, like, he's going to crush it because you're right. He is super well-spoken. If he decides to go full-time sports media, he's absolutely going to demolish it because, like, yeah, I mean, he's just, like, he brings a, a unique perspective, especially with the Orioles stuff, having seen it up close, being in the minors, playing with guys like Adley Rutschman, like, He's probably the preeminent source when it comes to like, you know, hey, I know these guys are going to be good because I've seen it. So, um, yeah, definitely. It, it's it, it, This conversation will fly by. It's not one of those ones where it drags on. It, like so many cool topics that we brought up. So, um, yeah, definitely definitely want to have him back on. He, he's the kind of person that I would love to just having, you know, recurring guest Ryan Ripken, hopefully. We haven't talked to him about that, but <laughs> hopefully. 
Yep, him and him and uh, Pete Fairfax, the recurring recurring guests <laughs> on the on the what pod. a panel that would be. Yeah, with all, that's that's a good panel. But yeah, with uh, with all that being said, let's let's send it over to the interview with Ryan Ripkin. Joining us today on Breaking Bats is former 15th round pick of the Washington Nationals, Ryan Ripkin. He's also the son of Baltimore Orioles great Cal Ripkin Jr. and recently retired. So we're going to talk a little bit about that too. But Ryan, thank you so much for joining us, man. It's awesome to have you on here. How you doing? I'm good. How are you guys doing today? I know we're, well, two of us are on the same time zone, but we got one that's I know it's nighttime, as you were saying before, but um, thanks for everyone making the time, and I'm glad we could finally get on and uh, and chat a little bit. Yeah, man, I know we've uh, tried to set this up a little bit ago, but you've been pretty busy in your retirement recently. So what? Uh, hey, before we came on, we were kind of talking about this a little, but how's it been so far being done? Well, you know, so it's a, it's a whole different world. And I feel like I've, when I tell people that, I feel like I come up with maybe the same response, a little bit different, but it really is. And I think for so long, you're used to a different one lifestyle. And with baseball, as we know, it's very time consuming. You're, you're investing. It's really a year round thing from your way for eight months and then you're training three to four months and, and then it's just rinse cycle and repeat and you feel like it's groundhog day, especially during the season. And now I have no idea what to do with my summers, except all the things I used to get out of with and, and not, and I missed it, but I mean, things that I missed on like weddings or got out of, like, wasn't there for, for family uh, events or, or just even having a friend's weekend. I went on a friend's weekend trip in the summer for the first time. And since I was a senior in high school, so it was pretty wild uh at least to, to think of it from that perspective but overall it's good just um a little bit busier than i thought you know quote unquote retirement would look like yeah that sounds about right there's there are a lot of things you can you can get out of by playing baseball and blaming things on baseball for sure and uh most of the time it's it's maybe not most of the time but a lot of the time it's it, it's a, those are good things some of the times you're kind of mad like man i would be be nice to go to that or, or do this or whatever. So that's cool. You're getting to do it at least right now. Yeah. And I mean, to your point, I playing, if I could play and be out there, I mean, who wouldn't want to do that? That's what you sign up for. But now that it's over, you do remember. And, and we talked about it, about just, you, you feel like you can miss out on some things and not that that's bad. You make your choices. And, and, but now that you're back into the situations, it is great for, to, to get back some time with people and, um, I always, all the things we do in life, I'm a big, it's the experiences you have with people. So I miss the, the component with the guys in the locker room, but I am really excited about being able to spend more time and make future connections with, uh, with people in this next chapter. That's a perfect segue to my next question was going to be, you know, so far, what's the first thing that comes to your mind that you miss about playing? Well, that's a, yeah. Oh, yeah. It segues right into it. I, you know, as much as I didn't like it, the two things I think I miss the most are the people and, and the grind of it. And as much as the grind would uh, be sometimes miserable. And we know when, when things go well, you're on top of the world. You feel incredible 
because all you want to do is show up to the field and keep going to play. But when you're struggling, you know, confidence wise or, you know, uh, internally, you don't feel great about yourself. And, but I still love that struggle of it. It was great to, you know, go through that. And that's a part of with life. It's the ups and downs and the, it made it more rewarding in that sense. And I love to compete. So that whole grinding aspect. And again, the, the people can't emphasize enough as you go through this. I mean, we could probably talk about every stage of, of life that we've gone through, whether it was when you were a kid going to high school or going kid growing up, going into high school, who, whoever you were, were friends with, or in the, you know, for me in the minor leagues, you know, guys that you got up with every morning during uh spring training, go off to the affiliates and, you're with them. Like that's your family for the, you know, six to eight months. And for those to go through those experiences together and have those growing pains, um, you know, I really valued that. And you just meet some great people. So I'm, I do miss that, but I mean, those people aren't gone, but the, the dynamics definitely change a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. You're not stuck in a locker room with them for what, eight hours every day, at least something like that. So there's definitely uh, some some fun times, some funny stories and things that, that go on while you're going through the minor league grind. But we'll get more into all that. But uh, one one more question for me. I'll let J.A. start start grilling you over there. Uh, how tough is it raising a puppy? Oh, gosh. We just – yeah. Um, for anyone that's interested, puppy life, <laughs> they're, they can get away with so much because they are so adorable and cute. But, man um, – Got my hands full over here. Luckily, <laughs> uh, I got a great girlfriend that is that. So that was her gift. It was a surprise. And uh, so she's, you know, it's great having a, a, a partner for this uh, process. But uh, yeah, it is the, the potty training in an apartment is very challenging. It can really test your patience. So I don't know if they're saying to test you for for having children, but I'll say I'm going to stick with the puppy until further notice. But he he's great. His name's Ollie. Uh, I'm sure you guys, if you check out my social media, I may become an annoying dog dad in the future. So stay tuned for some, some for some nice Ollie content. I don't think there's anybody that doesn't like dog content, but God, I think, I I think people like the in. dog. I think people like the dog content more than me sometimes. So that's the big hit. So if everyone, I'll give the people what they want, if that's what they want. It's not a bad business model. That's for <laughs> sure. But uh, all right, Jay, go ahead. Let's get it started. I, I had one thing going off of one of the questions Brian had about things that you miss. I mean, you played in the South Atlantic league with Delmarva, which is, has like the 17 hour bus rides. I feel like every single like road trip, it was that something that you missed. <laughs> no, I do not. You know, it, 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 what's funny actually that league prepared me for it actually conditioned me for anything with traveling. So in the off season, if we had to drive somewhere, if anything was under six hours or seven hours, I'd be like, Oh, that's an easy drive because that's what the, like it felt like the average bus time or the, that was the minimum time we had to travel in the South Atlantic league. I remember traveling to Rome, Georgia on, I don't think we left it after a game night game, 13 hour trip and you we got in at like one o'clock the next day and um uh, i remember sp my feet were up i was on the ground my feet were up to the right maybe like in someone's face because it's a small space and i know that 
I know where there's some, I can see the laughter over here. I'm sure you have some stories as well, but so I don't miss that component, but there were a lot of fun times, you know, you can make the most of it. Um, you know, do I miss, you know, traveling from Charleston, West Virginia in the middle of the night and, and the bus breaks down. It's not, it wasn't my favorite time in the moment, but it's a great memory. Um, but it definitely taught me that anything under seven hours in a car or a bus, um, I, I can manage, but, but please don't make it longer than that. Yeah, I, we, we talk about that sometimes. I think we had Matt Adams on here. We're talking about some of these long bus rides and just like, you know, trying to, trying to cope with and make the best out of the situation. Uh, so I'm sure Brian, probably some flashbacks, a little PTSD from, from his long minor league bus rides. Oh yeah. There's, there's got to have plenty of stories. I never played in that. I was out in uh, the Pioneer League. I was drafted by the Reds originally, and that was uh, so. I was in Billings, Montana, so it was all out that way. So yeah, we took about thirteen hours down to Utah. Beautiful, beautiful sights, but same thing. Yeah, over those were the worst, where you had to, and I feel like it didn't happen that often, but where you had the overnight trip and then had to play. And yeah. you're just like, you. I, I remember we did that and we got back at like 1130 in the morning. Our coach was just like, be here by 630. Like, I don't be here for the game. I don't even care. But uh, yeah, because J.A., they don't, you know, once you start moving up the ladder more, you get better buses or you get more buses at least. So there's some more room for people. But the lower levels, they don't really care as much or they don't really want to spend that money. So it's like. 35 guys or whatever it's just like piled on the one bus <laughs> can, can, can be a little cramped um <laughs> to say the least you know especially if you get seeing it the, it's the pros and cons of sitting in the back of the bus too sometimes maybe you can have a little bit more privacy you know be away from you know you just kind of feel like you have your own space but also then you're near the bathroom people get up to go to the bathroom maybe your seat doesn't recline or maybe something happens in the bathroom and it's a terrible <laughs> smell. And then you're just wearing that for hours. So, you know, it's got its pros and cons. I think with the South Atlanta league, just to tie it back. Cause obviously I, I enjoyed my time there and I enjoyed that league. And it was a lot of cool places you went. I think sometimes, and this is just about scheduling. It's different if, you know, I understand you get to the majors and you can, you know, the, the travel is from what I've seen and understand is, is uh, exponentially better. But when you have to travel from, I remember we went to Charleston, South Carolina, finished the series, went to Charleston, West Virginia, which is about seven and a half, eight hours without a stop. And then went from Charleston, West Virginia, back home, played uh, maybe a series or two there, and then went back to South Carolina. And I just thought like crazy concept. Why don't we just play? in Charleston, I think. <laughs> and then let's go to Columbia and then go home. Um, but uh, that's just how it works. But again, like that, that's fun. Like I can joke about that. Now uh, the South Atlantic league had a lot of great places. And, and again, guy about experiences. Um, most times you're probably, and we can relate to it, uh, Brian, that, you know, we, pr we probably wouldn't go to these places um, you know, on our free time. And it's not, it's a knock to, but it, yeah, there's life, uh, th things happen in life where you just, you take different priorities. And so I'm grateful. I went to, um, places like Charleston, West Virginia, or I went to Greensboro, um, try to think other places in that league that, uh, Lexington. you know, I went to 
Lexington. Exactly. So it's, yeah. Oh, that was a long bus ride too. Um, but, that, but again, I, I love being able to go to those cities and those towns because you get to see different cultures and that really was a great takeaway for me being in the South Atlantic league. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, they, um, they, uh, I didn't, I met my wife playing, so when it happened, I mean, that's where I live now, Pensacola, when I played double A there. So yeah, I mean, I ended up in a, it's a, it's a pretty good spot, but without baseball, I probably would have never knew about it or, Probably definitely would have never went there, but now it's my favorite place. It's my favorite place there is. I love it. I miss it terribly. But and the other point uh, point you made, like it's that like embrace the suck. You know, you just uh, it's funny to look back on it now and how kind of ridiculous it is. But I yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't have changed it. You know, I looking back on it now, it was it was great. Oh yeah. No regrets. No regrets. It, it, nope. Life's a journey. Life's a journey. And even if you do regret it, you learn from it. So, uh, but for, for me on the same way, you have so many great experiences that um, even if, even if they were, were brutal at the time uh, they make for great stories to talk about uh, uh, as you move forward in life. I love that. Uh, so take it to take it back to you for a second. Uh, I'm sure you get asked about this all the time, but like growing up in the spotlight, like, what was that like? And, like, did you feel any extra pressure to perform? You know, I'd love to just say, oh, no, no pressure to perform at all. But the reality was there, it was there, absolutely. And, you know, as a kid, I really didn't understand the magnitude of uh, what my dad had accomplished and um, and even, like, how people viewed my family. And because I, I just never, as a kid, you're, you're also still learning. And when my dad was retiring, I was eight years old. And, um, you know, when everyone was making, you know, people were sad or excited or wanted to go and see him play, I didn't get it. Uh, you know, I, I shouldn't say I didn't get it, but I really just thought of that as my dad's job. So I didn't look at it any other way. And then as I got older, I realized, especially growing up in Baltimore, you understand then the, the magnitude of the situation. And, and got into high school, pressure started to escalate. And then there was feeling a lot more of the comparisons. And as a teenager, and I already you already have other things kind of going on in your life, um, where you're I was probably moody and and I oh, I know I was moody and had weird sleeping habits, and you know, things could could uh seem to trigger me very, very quickly. So I just I was I couldn't grasp my or grasp the concept of why. Uh, why there was so many expectations and and then for me I wanted to prove to people that I was a quote-unquote I was a, a Ripken that I could live up to the to the expectation and family name and that was exhausting and I no matter what through the whole time I've always wanted to be Ryan and I love what my family did I, I just I um, kudos to them hats off you know give them a high five but I want people to know me and I want to, if you like me or you don't like me, or you think I'm a good player or not, you know, view that as me and, and don't try to compare uh, the names. But when I got into pro ball, I still had tr struggles with that too. Um, and honestly, until I got released with the nationals and I had to reset and I had a lot of injuries to start my career was I finally able to get into a different mindset and kind of let things go, stay in the moment and really put things aside. 
And I've definitely come to peace with all that stuff. And I never, I just want to point this out. I never was trying to be um, any, like anyone in my family in that regard, you know, you, I know I wanted to follow the footsteps to play because I love the sport, uh, but I didn't do it because I um, wanted to be, uh, to, to be better or be exactly like my dad. I wanted to make my own path and see where that took me. And this is where it took me. This is where it ended. It's not the way I wanted it to finish, but I'm proud of the journey and I'm proud of the process because um, everyone has a different story. And now I'm excited to continue what that chapter is. And, and hopefully uh, people can see the sides of me as a player, uh, but I hope more so that they can remember me more as the person. Yeah, I, I love that. It, it, yeah, because I've I've seen a lot of stuff that you've done post retirement. You've you've talked a lot about you know wanting to blaze your own trail. You know, not forget where you came from, but also still kind of let people know that hey, I'm I'm more than just the son of Cal Ripken. I'm Ryan, and I have my own stuff going on. Um, so that's awesome. Did you did you have like did you become like numb to people like strangers coming up to you asking about like your family? Like, did you have like a canned answer from like hey Ryan, what's what's dad like? Like, did you have that like down pat? Well, I just you, you kind of learn. Uh, you know, that was the other thing of growing up. You, I got exposed to being careful of what I say and what I do because people will take more notice. Um, and I remember even at a really young age, and that was something when you first heard it, my, my parents telling me, Hey, got to be careful what you do. You know, people are watching and, and you like, Oh, okay. Like, yeah, whatever. But you know, that, that moment kind of, or that, that first initial conversation stuck with me. And so as I got into pro ball, especially that's where it's extremely magnified. And after games you're talking with people and I felt not that I always had a, you know, a canned response, but I knew where to, what to, to dive into and, and what not to, and, and understand that um, they're just, there's paths you, 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 that I just can't, it's, it's a rabbit hole. There's no reason for me to go down. So I definitely got more comfortable with answering and I probably gave, uh, similar answers at times that people ask me. I think one of the, the, the things of, and that always would get me was, uh, um, your, your, your dad's awesome. Um, what's it like having him as your dad? And I just would go, well, I have a question, you know, do you, do you, uh, is your father in, in your, in the picture for you? And like, oh yeah, like I love, lo you know, do you, I go, we'll do, uh, what do you think of your dad then? Do you love, do, do you love him? And they go, oh yeah, I love my dad. He's the best. I go, well, that's how I view him. You know, like that's, that's my dad. That's how I view him. He's just dad. So I think that was probably one of the most like trademarked one. It was like, um, which I enjoyed. Or if it was a house dad, I honestly would be like, yeah, well, I have no idea. Might give him a call after and uh, see how his day's been. Um, so I try to keep it light. That That's the biggest thing. Keeping all the conversations light. That's awesome. That cracks me up because my dad, you know, didn't play anything like that. Um, he's great, but Jeff Manto played the big leagues for 10 years. I don't know if you ever crossed paths with him. He was he the was, hitting coordinator, I believe yeah, for the Orioles at yeah, one point, right? Yeah. I just would call him Mick. He, uh, I, I yeah. loved him. He is, uh, he was one of my favorites to be around. Yeah. So he's great. He's, uh, he's from Philly. Mm -hmm. So I know him pretty well. His son, was a pretty good player. He's still playing. I, I forget where he was at Villanova University. I don't. I forget yep. where he is now. But um, 
you know, we would hit, I, I hit at the same place and we would hit sometimes and he would just say to me, that his, I'm pretty sure his son's Jeff too. He'd be like, you know, he just doesn't, doesn't want to listen to me. You know, I <laughs> tell him whatever. Jay, he was a like big league hitting coach too, for the white Sox for, for a while. Like he obviously knows his stuff and he's like, yeah, he just won't, he just won't listen to me. And Jeff, the son was in like high school at the time. I'm like, yeah, no shit. Because to him, you're just, you're dad. You're not, like to me, you're this guy who played in the major leagues for ten years. To your son, you're just your dad. He doesn't give a shit that like you know you're just dad. Like like Ryan is saying here, so it's just that dynamic cracks me up because yeah, most people definitely don't like comprehend that that they're at the end of the day he's just your dad. It's not anything. <laughs> it's nothing about what player he was or or what anything else he did. It's you and him, father and son. That's it. And I just I think that's great. So Justin, I think a story that with 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 Mick and, and Brian, maybe you know this, is that he had a uh, a streak of, um, I think it was pinch hit home runs. I'm trying to look it up right now. Do you know about this, Brian? No. So I don't, when, that's a- when he was, um, maybe we could have to talk about it. Or he was trying to become so reading an article right now. He's trying to become the first player in major league history to homer in five consecutive at bats, um, and I think it was him uh, pinch hitting and coming off the bench. Um, That's awesome. But so it's funny because he brought in. He actually um, overlapped then, you know, with my dad. And um, but to your point, that that's what it is. It's. Uh, you're not viewed as anything more. Your your dad first. And so I got annoyed with my dad, him and I would be working on stuff and we would um, go back and forth, have a banter, maybe get really ticked off with each other and then kind of cool down, maybe go, okay, we need to go eat. Okay, let's go eat, you know, and then we we reset. Um, So that perspective definitely uh, I can relate to on on a lot of levels and um, just remind you that that's just like a lot of people, that's a, a typical father son dynamic when you're trying to uh, when, when it's involving uh, coaching. Did you did you also play with Rafael Palmero's son in the minors? Yep, with Preston. Yep, I did. Did you guys kind of share that same experience or maybe talk about maybe what it was like to, to grow up in the spotlight? Because I'm sure he was probably feeling the same things you did. I mean, his dad's a legend as well. So it's interesting. We didn't like fully dive into it all the time, but Preston's such a, a, a good dude and he very down to earth, um, uh, very, very open, very welcoming. Um, and I think for me, what I what I was impressed with with Preston is again how he handles his situations. And like you said, there was, um, you know, growing up, a lot of people in the baseball world know, knows the Palmero name, and and his his dad obviously had a great career. And um, and also for him, then with some of the allegations that then came out of talking about the steroid era, then you know that even put more pressure on um the palmero family and so that even to me just watching how preston handled himself and to me i didn't we didn't even need to talk about it any of that stuff just i it said it spoke volumes to me to see how he went about his work every day and he worked extremely hard he was caring to the people around him and and he was and you know I, i gotta check i haven't checked in with him but you know he's a good player and i think that sometimes he may, may never get credit and he probably felt those same expectations. But, um, you know, that's the thing is sometimes you don't even have to have the conversation to know uh, and feel 
what what uh, someone else uh, went through. I could I could just feel that we had you know similarities. I like that. So I, I was going back and I was looking. You mentioned expectations. Was there always like I don't want to say there's like an expectation, but was baseball always going to be it for you? Because I saw you're pretty good at basketball as well. I loved basketball, and I I if I was six seven or six eight, I would have not played baseball. And I was hoping deep down, I'm like, please grow two or three more inches. And I remember some teams or colleges were they were very interested. They wanted me to then just quit playing baseball because I needed to work on footwork and just and a lot of things become my can become sports specific. And and for me, I needed to work on being quicker if I was going to be staying at the time I was like six three, six four. I ended up, you know, growing posture, stand up straight. I'm about six five. And but that's nowadays, especially in the last 10 years, that's you're you're guarding guards and maybe you're an undersized uh, small forward. So uh, basketball to me is also that honestly, I'm actually now that I'm done playing, I'm going to get way more involved. And uh, I still did play in the off seasons. That was even though I probably wasn't supposed to. I love to go and play. It It was kind of like a safe space for me in the sense where. Um, you just would go out there. I didn't feel like I had anything to worry about. All I want to do is win and you mess up. You don't have really time to feel bad. Baseball, you get to sit on it, you know? Oh, oh, I struck out. Great. I'm going to go in the field. Oh, I struck out again. Oh, I broke my bat. Um, I, I had a game in, in, in high A where I went over for four, over five, four K's golden sombrero. I felt great. And then I just sat on it, you know, every inning, it just, it kept building great thing with basketball is uh you miss a shot you make a, a you know maybe a, a bad play you, you can't you can't feel sorry you got to get back on defense you got to try to make a play it, it keeps going so i love that component and um yeah i am you're reminding me that i need to get on scheduling my uh my my routine weekly pickup games you're preaching to the choir right now. I, I was a basketball player too, and I miss it so much. And I miss playing pickup. I played pickup with the same group of guys who are all a few years older than me. They uh, at an LA Fitness that I went to forever. They just I came in one day and played with them. They're like, "Hey, I was uh, I was a senior in high school." They're like, "Hey, you're gonna be on our men's league team." They were like probably like 24, 25 at the time. I'm like, "All right, sure." And ever since then, dude, for like the next seven years, Saturday, Sunday mornings, every week, like religiously, we played. It was my favorite. I miss everyone's, you know, they're all a little bit older now. All have families, like just kind of fell apart slowly. But those were the best times. And the last time I played, I'll never forget it. I saw kid. This isn't funny. Kid, kid I was covering beat me, you know, and this was I hadn't made it to the major leagues yet, but I was. I think I'd been to AAA, so I was kind of like cooling it down anyway. And these guys all knew that's why I played with them too, because they never do anything mm-hmm. to ever, you know, put me in in danger. But uh, I just, so I kind of just let them go, take the layup, and I turned around and started like jogging back the other way already. And I just heard him yell, and I turned back, and his foot was facing the wrong way. <laughs> so I don't know, like. And I just like kept oh. running and, and just ran out of the gym. And I was like, that's it. That's, that's it. Oh. Done. Last pickup basketball game I ever, well, since then I've played. And uh, 
yeah, man, that was, that was the end of it for me. I'm like, I can't do this anymore, but I do miss, it's such a good workout too. Like it's it is such just a such workout. a good workout. That's I miss why. it so much. That, that, that's the thing is, you know, Justin, I don't know how you feel about this, but do you like to just go? I mean, I'm not the person that can go outside and or go on a treadmill and just run. Do you like to go out and run distance or? Yeah, yeah I, you do. I have the, I have the runner's high, runner's body thing where it's like I'd rather go run a couple miles than do anything like other. See, so, so yeah. I wish that I had that. And I, I am props to you. That is not me. I cannot tell myself I'm going to go run outside. If I do anything, I do sprints. But that was the great thing about basketball and for so many other guys. And I know there's a ton of more baseball guys that, that feel the same way where it's like, oh, like, oh, this will this will be great cardio, great conditioning. And that's how I looked at it. And the and I'm, I'm a big competitor. And, and there's people have talked about growing up. My, my dad had some very competitive basketball games at the house during his career. And um, so I definitely that was ingrained in me so i when i would play and i would try to be careful but i wanted to get after it and, and compete because the more i competed and the maybe the intensity level uh rose the better the workout was for me and i'd be exhausted and um but there's nothing like it i i, I there that is i was in the best shape of my life going into when i finished in high school ryan you could probably attest to it is when the when basketball season ends and you're running the baseball, to yep. me that was the best shape I was ever in, and I could never replicate that. Um, but it's it's fun. Uh, so when the time comes though, and, and you're done playing, you should, you should hop back in. But please, right now, you don't. You, you let let me get hurt for you. Um, I don't. <laughs> yeah, my the extent of I'll 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 warm up shooting shooting some baskets before I, before I work out in the off season now, just by myself, just, just shooting. That's uh, cause I do miss it. But yeah, the one thing I miss that you just said after high school games, just being so exhausted and just like, just, I can't explain the type, like type of tire. I miss that. You don't get that tire, that type of tire from baseball. And yeah, two, you, you need to get in, in some sort of league and, and get back on the court for sure. Cause you got to do it for me. I just, oh, I, I'll live vicariously through you. I will for sure do that. Um, forgot what I was going to say. Oh, that was the thing is in, um, I hurt my oblique in 2019. And then I just got to the point where, cause I got off to a good start in high A. And then when I came back, you know, struggled for the next month and a half. And I'm like, you know what? Um, I, I'm just not going to really work out much, you know, I'm just going to do some basic things, but, so I thought maybe I kind of aggravated something with a, with a different um, exercise and, but uh, to meet a requirement, cause they'd be like, Hey, you need to try to go to the gym. Like, oh, okay. I'd go to the gym bus, hop on, get there. And then I just go, Oh, they have a basketball court. Oh, great. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm going to go do a dynamic warm up, and, uh, and just go get some shots up. I remember like in Binghamton, New York playing the Mets um, or the rumble ponies. I, I remember just like, okay, wait. And I think I went there both times to make sure I could just go shoot hoops for, for 30 minutes. And uh, it satisfied my, uh, my working out for, for the, for the road trip. I like that. that every time I think I'm going to go play basketball, I think of that video of Tom Segura breaking every bone in his body. And I'm like, ah, I don't really want to, I don't want to do that. So I'll let you guys do the hoop stuff. And you can I, run I for us. You yeah. can go run, go run for miles. <laughs> um, you know, I 
we'll I'll live through you on that. And we'll uh we'll we'll live we'll live, we'll live the basketball life for you. I think that's that's probably a better plan of attack, to be honest. Yeah. Um, Good deal. So the the JUCO baseball grind is something that we've talked about on this on this show before. We had Matt Strom on, uh, who's talked all about like he you know his conditioning tests and and just the the legend that is JUCO baseball. Um, I saw that you were also a JUCO guy at Indian River. Could, could yep. you talk about your JUCO experience and what that was like back then? So I so the backstory of that is left South Carolina. There was a turnover with uh, Tanner Ray Tanner left and um, Holbrook took over. And then just with with systems and fits and and uh, wasn't gonna have the opportunity to play and, and that was all right so I wanted to reset and I think what people forget when sometimes I thought that JUCO could be looked at I don't want to say it was it was looked at more negatively when you say you went to a junior college which first off for school wise I had one of the hardest classes I ever took in junior college it was an it was an American history course and it was probably one of the best classes I've ever taken, but man, it was a lot of work. So side note to, to, for people that maybe have a certain perception of junior college, it is what you make it. And there's some great professors baseball side. There is some great competition. And I went down and played Indian river. So we played in, in Florida and, um, you know, Miami Dade was one of the teams that was in our, our conference. And, uh, I think it was Broward Brevard to so play in some of the other counties and, it is a grind. You're not getting the uh, luxury, the luxuries of being at a, you know, a university going from South Carolina's baseball setup to Indian river was pretty drastic, but the, the style was less. Sometimes you had to do more to, you know, even help the field set up um, certain conditioning tests, but the, the competition of who you face, there's a lot of guys that end up facing there that were, uh, ML or uh, yeah, we're, we're professional, professionally talented players, and I think that was the cool part. Um, and even junior college, you want to win, but it's a little bit of a different dynamic than when you go to a four year school because let's face it, at bigger schools, it's still a the coach's jobs are to win, and sometimes the development can come, but most cases, you need to win now. And so junior college, that was a refreshing thing. It was still trying to learn your development and you wanted to win. I loved it. I really do. So if anyone was looking to, they wanted to play, because that's the biggest thing with your development, go somewhere where you can play. Whether that's going to a four-year school, a junior college, you need to go out there and and that's the only way you're going to get better. And so for me, spending that year there, um, it was it was great. Uh, it was definitely different, but that is an experience for being a, you know, I'm glad I guess I can consider myself a Juco bandit because it was, uh, it was a really cool thing to be a part of. I love that. Yeah. We, we, we've talked all about the, the experience of Juco baseball in here and it, you're right. It is a grind, especially going from like South Carolina to, to Indian river. Was that like, was that a strategic move on your part to go there? Cause I was looking at like the, the quality major league player that has come out of like Indian river. Was that like a strategic move on your part where you're like, you know what? It's a junior college. I'm going to get to play. And also, you know, major league teams aren't afraid to come look around at our guys. Yeah. So that definitely was a, was a, a good selling point. Actually the two teams that I was, or two, two junior colleges I was looking at was Chipola over in the panhandle and Indian river. Those were really came down to and Both of them had a track record of sending guys uh, or getting drafted and, and moving forward. So 
Indian River it worked because then uh, actually one of my other roommate or my roommate South Carolina as well his name is George Skandarian went on to go went to Miami and won I think the ACC batting title you know two years later uh, great player and since then he's done playing but um, we both went to Indian River together so having someone there with you going through the process was was a was a main reason but definitely there's a wall at Indian River and it shows everyone that's been drafted there. And then also guys that have, have uh, debuted and um, to look at that list uh, is, is really cool because in, in Indian river, it's in, it's in uh, Fort Pierce, Florida, or just around Jupiter, or I'm sorry, not Jupiter, Port St. Lucie. And people might not know much about it. And so if you're, we're looking at the junior colleges and you're, uh, you're looking and going to the field and you see those names, um, it, it's encouraging and you can definitely see, uh, and even some of my teammates, it gave you confidence that you can do this. Um, so that was cool. And, and look, uh, everyone has to go and do their own path. But um, for me, I, I feel even proud now to be able to add myself to that list of being another player that, that was able to get drafted out of Indian River. I love that. And, and it worked out obviously, because like you said, the nationals took you. So was that kind of like a win-win in your mind? Because like, was staying close to home something that you valued and also like it was like one of the best organizations at the time uh yeah i mean i the nationals were were always a team that i talked to you know throughout high school as well and so it was awesome for that experience but i i be honest i'm sure brian can agree with this um you'll go anywhere that someone wants you you know they draft you if if they told me to go out west you know if the um the mariners took me i'd be ecstatic you know, but it was very cool to have that experience because then a lot of their affiliates are somewhat nearby. The Nationals were a little bit further away, but going to, you know, have some teams in New York. Uh, at the time, they had one in Hagerstown, um, Potomac area. So it, it was really great to then be able to have family and friends come by and see you. Because um, as we know, in the season, it can it can get it can get lonely it can be a grind and when you can see some familiar faces come by and see you and and help maybe even give you a a, a breather um it's uh it's so refreshing so it definitely it definitely helped with my mindset and i wish that i wasn't hurt so much so i wouldn't have to be down in in florida but i was grateful to to be able to play with the nats i love that and especially at that time when you were coming up with them like that was when like their top prospects were getting drafted. They were signing in the big leagues, the Robleses, the Tyler Watsons who signed this glove for me. So shout out Hagerstown. Uh, I was hey, Tyler. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Play, um, so it's, it's funny that you bring those guys up and I didn't mean to cut you off, yeah. but it, it is funny because I played with Robles. I played with Soto and it's funny. I, Soto. I, maybe we talk about this later, but there's a couple, there's only a couple guys where I, you have that wow moment and I had the wow moment before he can't like, and everyone did. This wasn't, if you were around him at the, you knew. So I'm like, Oh, he is, he is different. He is special. And you know, Robles was even the higher prospect at the time. And they were both top prospects. So, you know, this is splitting hairs, but I'm like, wow, Soto, Soto's the real deal. And I've only felt that around two people. And the second one's going to, we're going to find out here soon in the next couple of years, if that second player is going to, um, is going to pop. But I, I was right on Soto, but it was so cool coming up with those guys. You're right. The national organization was 
so, um, so good, so talented. And it was really great to see what they were doing. And I'm actually super happy that they finally got it because being the organization, I will say things were very tense when there were so many playoff disappointments and early exits and could not winning the series to even get to the, to the pennant or the uh, championship series. So I'm really glad that they, uh, that they, they, they got there and they sold off a lot of players also at the end of the day. But, you know, the goal, if you win a world series, I think, um, I think it's safe to say they accomplished what they, what they wanted to accomplish. Yeah, I mean that's that was that's actually my question. It was about Juan Soto because you you saw him when he was like a seventeen, eighteen year old kid, um, and then yeah, like you answered my question because it's like, did you just know like as soon as you saw him take BP or, or whatever out there in the field like that he was going to be like the guy? Well, so the first time I ever met him, it was an instructional league, and it was his first time coming to the U.S. I believe, and this I guess was my first. First season, first like uh, uh, it might have been fourteen, maybe fifteen. I could be wrong, but anyway, um, I talked with one of the coaches, and they had just some of the, the players that came over from the Dominican um, were, you know, take we're doing some outfield drills, and one of our coaches walks by and goes, "Yep, that's uh that's the best hitter in the organization," and I'm just like, oh, like come on, man, like he's he hasn't even played in America, his first time coming here." And then even in BP or him walking around, I wouldn't think I've seen him walk around being like, ah, you know, and then in BP, sometimes it wasn't, and you know, obviously you can put on a show then, but at that time he wasn't trying to put on a show or do anything. I think it was then when he got into game situations and you saw the competitiveness come out of him and you're like, whoa, you, um, you're taking it to a different level and you are so consistent. Your two strike approach your ability, your bat, the ball ability, your eye, and then the rate that he did it, that was something that just – then it kind of clicked. So if I didn't fully believe it at 17, as far as the first time I met him, the second time when I saw him a little bit more closely, he had that wild moment. I'm like, you're 18 and you're doing what you're doing. I can only imagine what's going to happen. And and obviously, I think he debuted at 19, if I'm correct. He went from – I even played against him in that year in low A to start. And then he had arguably one of the greatest – minor league stretches ever where he hit crossed low a high a double went, went three levels hit a bunch of home runs and then debuted in the big leagues and had a great rookie year um so kudos to him and he is he, he's he's worth the money whenever he whenever he gets it yeah i think there's very few guys that you come across that you're like all right yep that's it like that's different right there for sure. And uh Yeah, who did you, know, you have? Played, you've definitely had some guys. It's funny looking back on it now because you play you know, you play against so many guys that end up making it or being pretty good at least. And there's definitely guys I thought who were gonna be really good who were, you know, okay or whatever. Um the one that stands out to me the most is Ronald Acuna. When I when he came to Double A that year, I think he went. I think he went high at Double A, Triple A that year. Mm-hmm. And when I played him in Double A, I had no idea who he like. No idea who he was, and started hitting. I'm like, who the hell is this kid? Because like, and I'll never forget 
that was, you know, the first game or whatever. And then one of the last games, Tyler Malley, who's turned into a pretty good big league pitcher, um, was pitching for us. And we were playing at Mississippi, which which was a graveyard at the time. And Acuna hit a ball in the first inning that I thought was like a pop-up to shallow left field. And it went out by about 100 feet. And I was like, holy shit, what what was that? And, uh, yeah, ever since then, I'm like, this dude is – that guy's special. They had – Austin Riley was on that team too, um, who was – was I I thought he was pretty – he owned – we talked about him on here before, Jay already knows. He he owned us. Like, that series, I think he went like 15 for 16 with hits from – right field line to left field line. Like it was just it was just a show. Like every single time like this dude's gonna hit. It doesn't matter. But um yeah it's funny looking back on some of the guys. Like when I when I Tatis was another one when I played with him in the Dominican and we were I'm like all right this guy's got some different stuff going on too. Mm-hmm. Um but man those the the really special ones I feel like it's just you see it and you're like yeah that's you see it up close as a player, and you're like, "All right, yep, that's that's a little different than uh, most of us." Yeah, well, that's the thing is, there's so many talented players that come through professional baseball, and, and I try to tell people, and, and as you know, sometimes the most talented players don't make it because they they can't figure it out, and it's and it's not because that they aren't don't have that given talent because they can do things that most people can't, but they couldn't do it consistently enough, and then you have guys where you know i still like to look at the example that's what the great thing about the sport is you can be really be any size um you know you can be small tall um you know whatever it is you can go out there you have to go out and be consistent and you can look at so i look at i know some actual you too like just some absolute specimens they go i don't know how you are able to to physically um your skills are just dwarf mine, but I can't like, you know, I, it's, I, you can't make the adjustments to keep your career moving. I remember facing a guy even down in, um, in the, in Florida, in the Gulf coast league that threw a hundred, 101 for the Cardinals. And I don't think he's, I don't think he ever panned out, but he was one of till this day was one of the hardest at bats ever faced because his stuff was so good and he threw so hard, but couldn't locate it. I remember he had one maybe over my head or behind me and people, that's kind of the joke when the golf coast league too, it's like, who knows where it's going, but he would throw that and then maybe throw a nasty slider and then paint 101 on the corner. And I go, well, wow. Like, why aren't you in, why aren't you higher up? But then again, it's the thing it's consistency um, that makes the players who they are. Um, the other one, I, Luis Robert was a funny one I just wanted to bring up where first time I met him, I think he came over. We were playing him in low A, and I think he broke like four bats really quickly. And I'm like, he just kind of – he just it seems like he has a slow bat. Flash forward the next year, we it was like, you know, the end of the year. And as we know, people have bad series. But his numbers even that year weren't – he wasn't – I think he just came over, wasn't having as much success. We open up with them in 2019 in Frederick. And – he went, I think he went deep twice the first night. He had like five homers and three games against us. And, and then we faced him again, like a month later. And it's like, oh man, his pace slowed. He's only has like 14 home runs or whatever it was. 
And we finally had him down. I think he had a golden sombrero. He's over four on the day. And then his fifth at bat, he went dead center almost at Woodson Salem. Fell because he hit the scoreboard um, up above. And I go, well, there, there it is again. And then, I, and then at that, like those moments, I'm like, wow, that guy, first off, physically, you know, talented and, and he's the real deal. And obviously when he's healthy for the White Sox, he is, um, you know, one of the best players. To go into the Orioles system last year and, and to play with Adley Rutschman for a couple months there, like, did you, was that kind of the same vein where it's like up close, this guy, he's just built different? You know, it's funny. He's not the second player that I was mentioning with Soto that I had the wow moment, but it's not been, I was telling people. So I went on a pregame show here in Baltimore. Adley, I think because he was average, like he's the number one overall pick. Everyone knew everything about him. So the expectation for him already was you're really good. And when I watched him, I, I didn't have that thing of that moment of being like, oh, oh my, blown away. But as we know in baseball, as you get to the major leagues, some guys can get to the majors off of being really good at one thing, or maybe you're 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 good at two things, you know. And they, you know, you work on that, you try to perfect perfect that, and be so consistent that that's what gets you to the majors. Adley, the thing that made his that makes him so special is that he's really good at at you know six or seven things. So. If you think about it from defensively, he can block, he can frame, he can control the run game, he can call good game pitching, and the pitching staff correlation since he's been in Baltimore is uh, is a testament to it. But then offensively, you know, he has a great eye. He's uh, the ability to bat bat to ball, but it's nothing where I go like, wow, it's unbelievable, and he has the talent. That's not what I'm trying to say, but you see what I mean. He came in kind of as that, but what makes him – stand out at that position is just the multiple things that he's good at where some people struggle to be good at one or two. The one where I had the wow moment is Gunnar Henderson. And I, that I've only had it with two people and it's with Soto and Gunnar. And, um, and that's going to be interesting to see what happens because Gunnar's 21 years old. But that was the thing is he was doing things at 19 and this was, I, I didn't even play with him. I just spent time with him in spring training and just raw skill was flat out impressive. And what he was able to do and then watching him the last two years. And um, I was, I had, I was right about Soto and I could feel it. And I had that same feeling. So I'm going to go with my gut on that, that Gunner is going to turn out um, as a extremely special player. Uh, for the Orioles. The Orioles just seem like they're so solidly built up the middle now, obviously with Adley and Gunner, who's playing all over the infield now, which is great. He's, you know, he's, he's hitting homers, his, you know, the hair's flying out of the back of the helmet. Like, <laughs> is, are you just watching what the Orioles are doing right now and how much fun they're having? And you're like, this is a team that's solidly built for the future? Yeah, I, absolutely. I think what makes it so more, like, what makes me happier for them is, uh, the guys there and and no, there's no secret how bad the Orioles had been the last few years. And it was going to be expected and even was expected this year. It was, it, this is what, what was so awesome for them is that expectations, there were none this year. It was still trying to figure out which pieces were going to be considered foundational moving forward because you have some of these prospects coming up and you hope they work out, but the reality is they might not. So who on the big league team do you think can be a long-term piece? And Cedric Mullins played his way into that uh, last year. 
and Cedric played with him. And, and in 2019, he got sent from the big leagues all the way from AAA to double A. And, and you thought maybe he was going to be on the way out. COVID hit, he regains uh, his ground and then he becomes uh, what, what Cedric is now. So that's an example of that. But now when the Orioles gained confidence and Adley came up in the pitching staff, I think that's what's been so incredible, but winning's contagious and then once you can believe you can do it, and I think that's what's making this better, is that they forced their way into the situation. And now that they forced this unprecedented season, the confidence that they're only going to get better is even going to make them play better. So if you believe in something and then it happens, like I, I really look at last X amount of years, let's just think about teams that got on extreme hot streaks that maybe – weren't the best team that 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 made something happen. I remember like the Colorado Rockies when they went on that ex- insane run of winning, I don't know, it was like 20 of 22 games or something like that to close the season and make the playoffs. And then they steamrolled to the World Series and then they fell to the Red Sox. But were they the best team at the time? No, but they found a way to get hot and make it. That's kind of what the Orioles did. Not in that sense, but the Orioles just played so well that it got to a certain point in the season. And then once you're in it, all you got to do is get to August and be in the race. Because if you have hope, anything can happen. And now the Orioles, the series, that's there's 10 games with the Blue Jays, I believe. To me, that's that that those series against the Blue Jays are going to decide who's going to be the uh who's going to get that spot between them. So Orioles are set up for the future. They got some tremendous young talent. And um, I'm excited and I'm so just overjoyed that the guys that I've spent time with get to experience something after such tough, tough years over the last, you know, three or four years. Tough's been an understatement. Yeah. I mean, that was, they were borderline unwatchable for, you know, half a decade. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, to, to have them this year come back and be so relevant again, it's, it's been so great for the city and the fans. And like, you know, it's, it's all people are talking about. Um, yeah, that's, you're, you're from here. Sorry, just to close it. But yeah. you're, you're you're being down in Annapolis. I mean, you're around it. it. It's the energy, right? The energy of people talking about the Orioles is exciting, and that's something that's been missing from from this area. And, and usually in Baltimore, everyone's about the Ravens, and they still are. I'm I'm all about the Ravens, but the excitement that people are having for the Orioles, it's reminding you that Baltimore still is a baseball town deep down, and there's so many people that that enjoy the Orioles success. Sorry, you know, go ahead now. No, I was just going to say, like, I feel like a lot of it too is like, it's so like, you know, usually when the Orioles and Nationals, they were they were good at the same time and now the Nationals mm-hmm. are bad again. And now the Orioles are good again. So it's like, it really just, you know, the whole area I feel like is more so getting on their the Orioles bandwagon. Um, but I had a question about, you know, the, the Orioles regimes. You, you saw the Dan Duquette era. You saw the Mike Elias era. Uh, I'm a long since uh, Dan Duquette defender. I don't really know of a lot of people that are, but I am. Um, but what what have you seen organizationally that's been different as a, from Dan to Mike? So it's interesting. Well, obviously, Dan came at a time, and for whatever, I think actually, I'm a, let's see how I'll answer this in stages. Each time that you come in as a front office, you're going to inherit some pieces then you have to figure out how to try to to take to take care of it so when dan duquette came in andy mcphail uh, i believe was the man was one of the men that was there before so he brought in the likes of adam jones um uh adam jones chris davis 
Um, I think maybe I remember it was Chris Tillman, Manny Machado, um, JJ Hardy. Uh, actually, I forget if JJ Hardy, I'm getting off topic with that. But anyway, the Machados, the Adam Jones, and Chris Davis. Let's just do those three. Those three players for the stretch for the Orioles, where they were having a lot of success, those were three uh, significant components to the team. And that was brought in by McPhail. Then Dan was able to, with Buck Showalter, you're able to put some some things together. And I, 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 the biggest difference between Elias and Duquette was the is Elias's background with the scouting and the analytics, and that's what really changed. But Duquette did his style, and the team had success. So then here comes Elias um, after the Orioles had that really bad year, and then every everyone cleans house, and it's starting anew. And what I uh, respect with Elias is that he wanted to come in and do it his way. He wanted to commit to the rebuild and they wanted to try to implement systems and they were very analytical, dr- analytically driven. And they wanted to try to create um, their formulas that would help them get production and success and development in players. I think the biggest one is we're seeing at the big league level has been the, um, the success of the pitching. Uh, analytics. I think pitching is always ahead of hitting, but if you look at the Orioles staff right now, a lot of them are more inexperienced at the big league level. I mean, you have some of the guys that have a lot, you know, Jordan Lyles obviously is a guy that has service time, but if you look at them from a standpoint, like Felix Batista right now, this is his rookie season. He was in high A to start the year in 2020, and he's arguably a top five closer. In the, in the bigs right now. He's unhittable. And so to see whatever they're teaching and developing, I think that's what's been extremely interesting to me with Elias is the development of on the pitching side. And the hitting side is getting better, but as we know, that's coming and going. But their pitching, they've just been so on top of it. And the way that they're getting players in, off waiver claims like uh, or signing people, Perez and the pen has been tremendous. Uh, Mateo was a waiver claim and second half of the season, he's been one of the best shortstops. So whatever they're seeing or what Elias has seen and, and Sig, the uh, assistant GM, whatever they're seeing to help then get them on uh, to, to take the risk and maybe get something out of them is really working. Austin Voth's another case. Had a high ERA with the Nationals. You bring him over. And until I know last start, he didn't have a great outing. But he's been so successful. And I think that to me is – been really impressive is that they're trusting what they're doing and now they're reaping the benefits of, of their system. I, one last thing then I'll maybe if Brian has something too there, but like, I don't know. It's, it's hard for me as a fan because I, like I said, I was, I love the Orioles so much. Like what Dan did, they had a top 10 payroll. They were sexy. They were, Hey, trade deadline. Let's go get some people And you know, they obviously paid the price for that in terms of prospects and you know, the, the cupboard was pretty bare, but they also, there's a lot of guys there that are good now that were Dan guys. But do you think that there's something to like the dumb fan, like me perspective of like, you know, it's the analytics isn't really that sexy. It's not, you know, it's, uh, it's under slot draft picks. It's, you know, trading Trey Mancini for a guy who had Tommy John surgery. It's, I don't know. There's just something about like the way they're doing it. It works. Don't get me wrong, but there's also a part that misses. Dang, it was fun to hit 275 home runs a year and, and, you know, resign Chris Davis. Like that's, that's where I'm at with the Orioles. I love them still, but it's hard. Yeah, I, I will say so. I, and that's the thing is everyone has has a certain feel of what 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 brought them or what resonated to them with the Orioles. And 
And that's the thing is Duquette and that team that they constructed was exciting for fans, you know, and, and yeah, Chris Davis at that time um, before, before the contract was one of the most exciting players, especially for the Orioles to watch. And you're right. They had a swagger to him. Um, and, and, and for me, I, I like to not even get so analytical, but I am open more to understanding. And I do understand the role that it plays. I think we all do. This is going to be the interesting part now. And Elias has come out and said that he would like to spend more. And I do believe they're going to start doing that now that they believe the window. But again, it's how much you're going to be willing to open up the, the checkbook to bring certain names in. And, you know, I also, too, if there are guys that you really believe, you got to give them chances to come up and play. Uh, now, the Gunnar Hendersons, the Adley Rutschmans, the top prospects, they're going to have um, – they're forcing their way in and, and they're you expect them to be, you know, cornerstones for you. So I think this next year or two is going to be very telling as of how much Elias is saying about them bringing on guys, because the only thing I will close with to be successful again, and to, if you're going to be in a smaller market, you have to be willing to have a very strong system. Tampa Bay is, to me, the blueprint of like one of the best organizations, if you are going to decide you're not going to spend money, do it. Do what the Tampa Bay Rays are doing, but obviously people can't emulate that as well because everyone would do it. But Tampa Bay has done it. And look at this year. They've had all the injuries. You felt like they're going to fall off, and then they've won, I don't know, 16 to 21 games now. They're five back of the Yankees, and they're looking um, like a postseason team. So the Orioles will have to make that decision. I think as a fan, I understand, I can feel it. And I hope, um, I hope they do spend some money because that also will show you just like other fans. Hey, you're, you want to win. You want to bring some guys in. They're going to bring some flavor. Like I know it'd be great to, to bring in uh, some high caliber uh, bats and arms, but don't sell the farm because if you start selling the farm away to bring in guys like that was the thing with Mancini. It's hard to let it go, but it was a business decision. You had to do what you thought was best for the organization. And let me ask you too, Justin, would you rather short-term hold on to something that's nostalgic and, and brought you some good feelings, or would you rather hopefully see the Orioles be postseason or World Series contenders for a five, 10-year window? I mean, I think Trey is probably the outlier in that case because, you know, he is still the, he's, the nostalgia factor is there, but also the production was still there. Um and then once they got rid of him, I was like, okay, this is Stowers time. And then they, they go out and get um, the all, what's the, who, the guy from Tampa that they traded Brett for. Phillips. Yeah, and I'm like, well, that's, that made me scratch my head a little bit. But um, I don't know. Sometimes I look at the DH production now, and I'm like, ah, I wonder if there's a guy in Houston that could probably hit, you know, hit, some, hit some bombs. But, um, yeah, <laughs> I, I just thought that was an odd – I just thought that was an odd move to, to, to rip the leader of the clubhouse out for – you know, a high A pitcher that gets bombed and then a guy who gets Tommy John surgery the day after yeah. or whatever. I, this is maybe a different perspective too. Trey is a tremendous person. And I think also I'm curious for him if uh, I was happy that the things were finally turning the quarter. It's bittersweet seeing him finally be a part of a team that's, you could feel the change, but also he was the face of it and had so many things going on. Maybe being removed from that takes pressure off of him where he doesn't have to feel like he has to have the organization's the organization on his back. And, and but again, guys, unbelievable. He's a, a gr great player, but a better human. 
And um, I know people might not love the Astros, but if the Astros win the World Series, I'd be ecstatic for them. Um, but you're right. It, it's, it, it plays at the heartstrings. But I think what the Orioles have built is, is putting them in a position now to make some big moves. And I think I'm going to predict that, Justin, you're going to be pleasantly surprised um, with guys that they could be bringing in, in the future. Okay. I hope so. I hope I'm right for you. If I'm not, you know what? I, uh, you can, you can get on me or, you know what? I'll buy you. I'll take you to lunch and I'll, I'll, I'll buy the meal or I'll buy you a nice steak. We'll go to dinner. I would love that. And then until then, you know, we're just going to tweet at Ryan Ripken. Anytime something bad happens, please do, please do. If I'm wrong or you don't like what I'm saying, have at it, <laughs> get at me and I'll respond respectfully. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, there's so much there. We'll go back one. I love those teams you guys were talking about back today. The Orioles, those teams were awesome. They hit the shit out of the ball. Manny still, this is a Manny Machado podcast. Manny, one of my favorite teammates. Um, but I think what's interesting, really, when you're talking about the Rays, my uh, going back to my one of my homes there, uh, the Orioles are doing – Great job. You and with the waiver claims and adding these little pieces. And you mentioned Jorge Mateo, who I was with in San Diego last year, and poor Jorge didn't even like touch the field at all for like almost two months straight at one point. Like nothing. And you see what he's you know, he's had a pretty solid season, honestly, this year. And I know he's he's done much better, uh, at least average wise and stuff, like since I think post all-star break, but they're doing a great job with the prospects and the system and all that. And you're, you're totally right about everything. And now they're saying they want to spend that money. And if they want to be like the Rays or be a little bit better than Rays, you're saying it's exactly right. They keep doing it, but they got to hit on whoever they spend that money on. Oh, no doubt. Like if you're going to spend that money on that one piece or that, that one piece in the field and that one pitcher, you got to be right because they have that young talent. That kid, the Henderson kid looks, I know it's only a couple games or whatever, but he looks like he can do it, like he can really play. Um, obviously, Rushman and all these other guys. So if you're going to find that spot where you're like, all right, we need, you know, that big bat in left field or whatever it is, Judge. you can't swing and miss. <laughs> and then, oh, that, <laughs> all right, we need the top of the rotation guy. You know, you got to You got to hit. And then it all comes together for sure. Cause they're, I mean, I'm, I'm happy for them. Like, it's cool to see, uh, having basically no, I mean, no expectations at all. And to be in this position, I, that's awesome. That's awesome for those dudes. And I told Justin multi, I don't know how many episodes ago before he said, you know, are they going to trade trade Mancini? And I said, yes, they are. <laughs> and I was right. And yeah, but I was wrong because I thought they were going to fall off and they're, they haven't. So, you know, even more congrats to them for that, but I hope, I hope it works out and I don't know who that piece is or what the targets are going to be, but man, you're right. If they keep this all together and they bring in those one or two guys and all of a sudden you're like, Oh shit, that's a pretty good team right there. They're there. And that's the thing that's, what's going to be interesting, especially and that's the thing is, do you want to spend money on certain guys that and that's why the, when the whole Julio Rodriguez contract came out and you extended your, a guy that you thought's a young superstar, 
the hard thing with the baseball setup, as we all know, is you get the arbitration years and you really to get a second contract takes a long time. And sometimes you're not getting that second contract till your late 20s, maybe you're in your 30s. And then there's the question of if you sign a longer term deal that the production might drop. And unfortunately, like for Chris Davis, the production dropped. And that was also more, I think, mentally um, he got into a funk because he, you know, it, and that happens, but because you saw how great he was, but, and even also like Albert Pujols, awesome to see what he's doing. But when he signed that big contract, leaving LA or leaving the Cardinals, did, did he really get back on that investment? And even like right now with Mike Trout, best player when he's healthy, it's a lot of money you're investing in and in somebody moving forward. So teams would want to be cautious. So extending Julio early, I think is great. But so then you're looking at if you have team controls over guys that you think are really good. So just let me ask you this. Orioles fan, what, how does this rotation sound to you? Would you rather take a chance on this where Grayson Rodriguez is healthy? You have Kyle Bradish is continuing to pitch like he has, and you have Dean Kramer and John Means is coming back. And I don't know what they're how they do with, with the fifth man. You have Felix Batista in the pen. What if you go and get another arm to set him up? Do you want to go out and get uh, another pitcher that could possibly take away from having DL Hall come up and figure out his spot. Like if they had to take away someone else's ceiling, because I think Grayson and Kyle Bradish, um, I know what Grayson can do and I've seen what Kyle can do. Would you want to take that away from them or would you rather see them go, Hey, we're going to give Justin Verlander $35 million this year. Um, which I probably think you might say yes. <laughs> well, obviously. Yeah. I mean, I, I want them to get Aaron judge. Um, well, that's I, not happening. <laughs> Tell you that right now, Aaron oh Judge. God, Aaron yeah, Judge he's... paid himself, has played himself into probably fifty million dollars. It feels like, yeah, maybe even more. Yankee Stadium will burn to the ground if Aaron Judge goes to the <laughs> Orioles. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I think it's time, though. I think it's time to start bringing the veterans. Like, yeah, I, I think like you know, a veteran starter, a workhorse type starter, maybe somebody like you know, a position player, an everyday player that's you know, experience with who brings playoff experience, just something to signal to the fans that like, look, we, we know it's been tough the last five years. We know a lot of you guys, you know, switched to the nationals, which I did for a while. Uh, oh. two, yeah. I'm a, I'm a dual sport guy, a dual, dual okay. team guy. Um, okay. I was Orioles and nationals team Masson. That's what I am. Okay. Uh, that, that, that's fair enough. Let that slide. <laughs> um. So yeah, there's a lot of people out there that, that are like me. And so that they're like, all right, we like the Orioles. It's been fun. It's been cute. You know, let's see them double down and let's see them actually commit to winning consistently and being the St. Louis Cardinals of the AL East, where every single year their 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 floor is 80 wins. Like, you know, how awesome it must be to be a Cardinals fan, and you know that even if your team is absolute dog crap, you're still going to win 80 games. Like, that's what I want the Orioles to get to, uh, and that's that long term sustained success. But yeah, let's let's go out, let's get weird, let's go, let's go sign some people that are expensive and old. But I, I would like to see them just show the commitment after, you know, trading the Mancinis and trading the faces of the franchises and, you know, your all-star closer too. Like, yeah, let's let's send a message. Let's let's spend a little money and not have the payroll of Max Scherzer. See, <laughs> that's hilarious. You know what's funny? I meant to bring this up when we talk about analytics or them hitting on guys. And this is where value – this is why, like, this whole conversation is – it's kind of changed my perspective this year. I'm for it. If there's someone that you like and you want to go get, if you think it's going to help the team, absolutely. 
I don't know if you guys know this. Um, Felix Batista was released by the Marlins in the in the lower levels. So that guy was released. He is unhittable right now in the major leagues. Just and again, that, that speaks to the development. So when you look at that, for what they're doing on the pitching side, is that something that you know if you could save it for the guy you really want? And maybe, and I, and I'm with you though. And, and that's the thing. It's if. And maybe actually, let me rephrase this. Would you feel better if the Orioles then would, would you you want older guys? But what if the Orioles said, "Hey, Adley, we're going to sign you the extension right now"? Wouldn't that also signal a we're committing, we're committing to our young guys that we want we want to do this? Or you're saying, "No, no, no, go get me, Judge. Go get you know, find a way to go get Verlander." Um, I think short term options. I like to say this. I think short term option guys would be better than getting the law. Like I, I wouldn't want to go and sign Trey Turner for six, seven years. I think he's a great player, but again, I think I want the players to get their dues and I don't want that to sound, but that's just now seen from the business side. I feel the longer contracts when you're getting older, just don't seem to pan out the same way. I mean, uh, that's- I had this conversation with my friends the other day when Michael Harris of the Braves signed like an eight year extension and he's been mm-hmm. in the big leagues for like half a season and I looked at it from both sides. From the team, they love it because they get him at like $8 million a year, and then maybe it goes up to like fifteen towards the end. But like from the player's perspective, and I actually wanted to bring this up to Brian a couple weeks ago when, when I saw this, was like, would you want to take that that eight for 80 when you're like, you're, this guy Harris from the Braves, he's going to be an all-star caliber player for a long time. Would you want to sell yourself short and probably miss out on tens of millions of dollars just to have that security? Or, you know, it, that's just such a fascinating, like the Braves are always signing guys to 10-year deals when they're 20 years old, it feels like. And that's why their fans are so spoiled, I feel like, because all their stars are locked up for the next decade. But from the player's side, is it is it good to have that long-term security where it's like, I could go out and, you know, break my leg and I'd still make $10 million? So, Brian, I'll, I'll throw that to you. Oh, okay. <laughs> this is the, like, double-edged sword here, right? So... From the players as a whole perspective, right, they want to keep moving the market more and more to make the contracts more and more, make more money for everybody, right? So that's why you see like everyone says like, oh, Boris wouldn't want that. Or sometimes they say maybe the union wouldn't want guys to sign contracts like this because they think if they wait it out, they can do better. And they're probably right if they wait it out and they play really well for the next, however, six years or, you know, at least three years to get the arbitration, they're, they're probably right. But in my personal opinion, I, I would, if I was one of those guys, I would sign that contract immediately because it just ends. Ryan said earlier, the grind, like there's no, you're still, I mean, you still got to work hard. You still got to show up every day and do all the stuff to be a great player. But you know, no matter what, you have that security now. Like it's done. You don't, you don't have to worry about that aspect anymore. That doesn't mean there's not, and I said this to you before, Jay, it doesn't mean there's not pressure or that like everything's just super easy and happy now because you, you signed a contract and you know you have financial security. It might make it worse, honestly. But at the end of the day, you know that you're going to be taken care of. Your family's going to be taken care of. 
your kids are going to be taken care of, like whatever it is. And you don't have to worry about getting hurt or what. I mean, look at Scott Kingery. You know, he was he looked like he was a cornerstone for the Phillies. Signed that deal. Hasn't has panned out that way. And if he didn't, if he said no, I mean, where's he at now? What's he? He doesn't really have anything to show for it, probably. And I know of another example um, like that, too. So to me. Yeah, everyone rags on the teams for locking these guys up, but man, that's a lot of money. <laughs> it's still a whole lot of money, and you're you're set. And yeah, the Braves. I don't know the guys. It. I think it's more of a story because it seems like it's mostly the Braves that get this done somehow. So everyone's like, oh, well, you know, what are they kind of blackmail? They got all these guys, but I don't know. Those guys, they must like it there. Maybe the Braves are more open to throwing it out there than other teams are. Maybe other teams aren't ready to commit to their players that soon. I don't know, but I, it, it blows my mind when people rag on Albies and uh, Acuna for taking those deals. Yeah. They're great players, but especially where they come from, man, like that's, you don't, you don't need anything more than that. Like they're good. So, and they're still going to get another contract. So it doesn't even, it's like. They wanted security for the, and I think that's. Yeah. Everyone's situation is different is that you got to decide what's going to be best for you and your family. And, and for Albies, to your point, that was the one I was about to bring up. Everyone like, that's a steal. He's, they, they, they robbed him. I go, well, Albies wanted the security right now. And I don't blame anybody for wanting to do that because it's your life. And. You the reality is you might not have that there tomorrow, and Brian, I want to ask you and Justin, we can because with the Julio Rodriguez, the incentive based deals now moving forward, because I think this is a way for teams. I'm I think this is what's going to be happening. I want to hear your guys' opinion. I think that that would be a great way to defend to protect the teams, but also um, moving forward. Uh, the players can still earn their money, but it's really becoming how well do you play as the contract goes. I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, so they have, I did a video on this, but Julio Rodriguez got $200 million at least guaranteed. He can make up the $470 million, but after eight years, the club can then choose to keep him or, you know, they'll they'll move to, to uh, keeping him and let him try to reach those incentives or they can opt out of it. Um, so it can range, the contract can range now from $200 million value to 470. Do you guys think that model is something that should be considered or implemented moving forward? Um, the incentive things it is definitely interesting. So here in Japan, incentives are part of the contract. Uh, and that's pretty standard for at least the foreign. I'm not sure about the Japanese players, but for the foreigners, it's definitely standard. Uh, you get your guaranteed money like that. And then, you know, you get the extras <clears throat> added on for whatever it may be. In his case, now that contract is super uh, complex and I'd have to like a lot, really, a lot going on. <laughs> like, yeah. It's yeah, like, like if, look if, at if, it. if we, if we decline the club option, then we keep you for a few years or then that's a player option and X, Y, and Z. Yeah. yeah, it's it's nuts. But from a from a player's perspective, if that would make the team feel better about at least guaranteeing me that much money beforehand, or guaranteeing me, 
you know, a certain amount of money beforehand. Sound, I mean, it sounds good, but I don't know because it, it really is like an outlier right now. So maybe he he just he's he's unbelievable. First of all, what a what a great player he is already. But it it's it's one season, and you know you assume he's going to get better and better. But I guess from the team's point of view, they're like, well, there's always the chance. So they're trying to protect themselves. So I, I, I do see it could be a win, win-win for both sides. I, I could definitely see that. And I do, sorry, I do think it takes some uh, confidence on Julio's part to sign that deal or agree to those specific incentives. Mm-hmm. I was trying to look up the details of Julio Rodriguez's contract when you're talking about that. And it still doesn't make any sense to me. It could be anywhere <laughs> from a, a nine to 12 to 15 year deal. It could be worth up to, yeah, I don't, Jeff Passage's tweets were just, you know, were not making sense to me. But I, I'm curious from like a player's perspective, like how many guys would be open to having that kind of deal where it's like, you know, I'd rather just have like the, the flat deal where it's like, you know, if I have a down year, I still get, I still get my money, but it's like, you know, betting on yourself is something that I don't know. Are guys more receptive to betting on themselves now after seeing this, you think? Well, that's that. I think that's the thing that's up for in- interpretation. Is it because the, I think it's just the way that the style, and Brian, you could, or this, I want to hear, I'd love to hear your opinion, but I feel the, because of the process of, major league contracts and the way that things going through arbitration and waiting for so long. It's not that I feel that guys don't want to bet on themselves. Like in this case, judge bet on himself, but someone was still going to pay judge whether or not he had a great year. He was going to get paid somewhere because someone was going to value them with this type of contract of being so young. You're right. You don't know how it's going to pan out, but most guys, um, want to try to get that value up front because they feel like they had to grind that whole way to get to the point of where they were, where they're at. And they believe, and they deserved it. They earned it. Um, but it's saying, and as we all know, as you get older, yes, some of the, 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 the freak athletes or the phenomenal players, like, you know, seeing what Scherzer's doing into his late thirties or Verlander, um, you know, to 40, but those are the, these are the, one percent of the situations where guys are going to be able to have those types of deals. So that's just that was my that's just kind of my take is that the incentive base when you sign a contract when you're 30 for this type of deal, I don't think makes sense. But when you're in your your prime years, yeah, it makes sense because you believe that if you're if if Julio Rodriguez believes he can finish and you know be an MVP player and finish win an MVP or be in the top five or whatever it is, yeah, bet on yourself. But if you're a guy that's signing when you're 30 years old and what are you going to do over your next five? Can you be an MVP player over the five or six years? You hope so. But the reality is, is that your body might not react the same. So I don't know, Brian, if you felt or how you feel about um, those situations. No, I, I totally agree with you. And I think there's probably little parts to contracts that have some sort of incentives in there that we probably just don't hear about is my guess as much because they're mm-hmm. one, not a 21 year old superstar or whatever he is now, 20, 21, whatever. Uh, and two, not as comp- complex as this particular deal, but you know, it's uh, 
you're getting to Jay's point, you're getting, you're getting that guaranteed money, you know, doesn't whatever it is for that season. And then that the escalators add on to it, or they pick up options and, and all that other stuff. But, you know, that's, it wouldn't be my first choice personally, if I was laying out a contract or, you know, what I wanted, but at the end of the day, no matter what he's taken care of, right? Like he's good. If he, if he only gets $200 million, I think, I think he's, I think he's going to be just fine. So same say it's what we've been talking about. It's security. If you're done grinding and now you just, uh, you just go out and play as much as, as much as you can really. What, what about the point too, where it's like going back to Harris? Cause that was the one that really was like, he's, he's like a, like an MVP caliber player. Granted, he's only played half a season, but isn't there something also to like the fact where it's like you only have a, a certain amount of like prime years and you only have a certain amount of time to make the most amount of money that you can. And I know his contract takes them all through arbitration, which, you know, teams are just going to rip you to shreds and try to pay you nothing. But like, I don't know the, the Braves love it. I'm sure, you know, Harris obviously loves it because he signed it, but it's also like, I don't know. I kind of feel bad. Cause like this guy, if he could hit the open market when he was supposed to and not have signed that contract, I mean, he'll probably make, way more than the eight mil per year that he's going to be making at the, you know, the prime years there. So that was the only thing I thought about was like, you know, dude, get your bag while you can get it, you know, get the biggest one that you can. I think the other for him, he's what 21 too or 20. Yeah. He's young. Right. So yeah, very young. eight years. I mean, he's still going to get a nice deal after that. So assuming he plays like it seems he can play because he's been absolutely electric so far too so you know from his perspective he'd be like shit i got 80 mil in the bank i'll be 28 or 29 pretty good you know i mean yeah he might not get that seven-year deal maybe at that time i don't who knows what's going to be the thing then but another three four year for however much i mean i'm sure he's going to get that and then you're you know you're still good but it's now Atlanta knows it's also like <laughs> Atlanta has these dudes locked up and they're like, okay, so who can we go get here? Or we have this much money now. It's just like, I don't know. I feel like it makes everything so much simpler from both, both sides. And the last thing I wanted to say was, you know, in, at least in well, all their cases, but Michael Harris's case, uh, he was playing really well, but you kind of still never know if you could just get sent down for something stupid sometimes. So if you take that deal, you basically know that's not happening anymore. So you're like, oh, well, that's, that's good. It would be a shock or a very big surprise if they were to do something like that. But at the same time, now you're like, don't even got to worry about it. It's done. Okay. My opinion. Take can't blame can't can't blame can't blame no matter no matter what it is you cannot blame guys for doing you know take taking a deal that they believe is going to help them security in a sport where in a, a career profession where things there's no guarantees uh, that things are going to work out they made the decision the Braves seem to have a good rapport with guys understanding that or or have guys that are willing to do that so. You're right. Harris could make more, but he wanted to make sure if, if the worst case went wrong, that he was going to be uh, him and his family are going to be in, in a great situation. Yeah. 
no, I mean, you guys are exactly right. You've actually, you've actually swayed me, which is rare, you know, did dig my heels in on this one. So perfect. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, as we kind of wrap up here, as we look towards the, the playoffs are going to be starting soon, like who are a couple teams that you're, you're most scared of? Like who are some teams that you think this playoffs are going to make a deep run? Well, I, uh, as a fan, I would love to see you know, taking out the Orioles aside with that Seattle because of the situations that they've had for such a long time, uh, 20 years, not being in the playoffs. They also not, they're the only team that hasn't gone to a world series. I think it'd be great to see them, but they also do have the build to last. Um, so I would love to see Seattle have the, to make a run. I like what the Cardinals are doing a lot on in, in the in the NL. I think if we're going to take away the 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 Giants over there of the Mets and the Dodgers and the Braves, which I think are all teams that probably people would favor the most, the Cardinals are just that team when you get to September or get to October that if they're there they you feel like they are a a uh their pedigree in the playoffs just kind of speaks for itself. I know it's different management, but always when I think Cardinals and what they're doing and you have uh, some great players and you have, you know, Paul Goldschmidt, you have the MVP on your team. You have Jordan Montgomery acquisition pitching so well. Um, I think the the teams to watch would be the Cardinals and, uh, and the Mariners. And also I'm not going to sleep on the Tampa Bay Rays. I think if they're in, I, I don't want to play Tampa if they're in. That's just, that's just my, uh, my take for the teams. Um, but yeah. Big Mariners podcast over here too. So we're, we're definitely, Brian's been pulling for them. I think he had them in the world series at one point. Oh, really? Hop on the wagon. I think I, I didn't have them in the world series, but I had them winning the AL West, but the Astros just refused to ever stop winning. So they're not going to win the AL West, but they're probably gonna be in the playoffs at least now. Oh yeah. They're, they're, Who, uh, they're playing well. I had my, uh, well, they're, my AL World Series picks pick is uh, all of a sudden in the race. So the White Sox That's what are back hot on the trail. Didn't look good for a long time this season, but that pick could come back. But And my Yankees, I said the Yankees weren't going to make the playoffs, Ryan. That was one of my, my bold Ooh. predictions. Ooh. And boy, was I wrong for a lot of the season. And I probably am still wrong, but it doesn't look quite as bad as it did for most of the year now. So I got that going for me. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Yeah. That's uh, <laughs> yeah. The Yankees, if they don't, if they miss the playoffs completely, um, I, I don't even know if, if that can be physically possible, but boy, yeah. did there, is it stressful times? And you thought just when, when Aaron, when Aaron Boone and the Yankees, the pressure was off, uh, for the you know the first 60 70 games of the season um you know the stove's hot right now and whether or not they i think knocking on wood you think they'll hold on to the division even if they don't the the the, the stress and the intensity is is magnified in new york because here's the thing with the yankees they haven't been getting over the hump and they have to get over the hump or there's going to be some big changes so We'll see. We'll see. I also, side note, I would like to see that the, the other New York team do well, the Mets, because I, I would love to see Buck Showalter have a chance for a uh, to get to the World Series. 
I think I'll obviously Scherzer and DeGrom. And I'd love to see Diaz come out of the pen with the trumpets in the World Series. <laughs> I will overpay for a ticket to a Mets playoff game. Not even a Mets fan. As a baseball fan, can you imagine what a postseason safe situation would look like with him coming out of the pen? I I, I would I need to be there. Need to find oh. a way. Couple things there. One, Buckshaw Walter, Pensacola guy. So right there with you. Two, I picked the Mets to win to beat the White Sox. So I'm I'm there with you too. Perfect. And three, go ahead, Justin. I, I already know what you you can say because I already know it's coming. Uh, I went, but yeah, you're right. It was, I had Dodgers over White Sox, so I'm I don't know why I had Chicago. Yes, but both had the White Sox. It was they were supposed year. to be good. <laughs> oh, I know. I know they're supposed to be good. Gavin Sheets is one of my good friends on the team and and everything was lining up and then everyone was waiting for them to turn it on and, and it just hasn't injuries and a lot of other things but hey you never know there's they still got time it's they're, only, they're only like a game back two game they're two games back looking at the standings right now the cool part about the white Sox is is if you sit close enough to their dugout you can help make managerial decisions on like pinch runners and stuff so if you know if you if you're within shouting distance you can do that um Going back to the Yankees real quick, I'm just really surprised that Aaron Boone pounding the table hasn't made the drastic turnaround that I'm sure he thought would make them have. Um, you know, that's <laughs> one of my favorite press conference moments of all time. Right there. Um, so, you know, I, I thought that would get the players in the dugout all amped up, but I guess it didn't. Um, but, yeah, I, I would like to ride with the Mets. My last, last question to you, Ryan, would be, it, it's you know, you might have hinted at this, would be like, the, the Edwin Diaz trumpet hasn't gotten old yet? It's, no. It's, okay. It's no, because teetering I, towards getting old. The thing for me is I don't think it gets old because when you get to the playoffs, the intensity level for everything changes. So right now, people, when the trumpets come on and everyone has their phone out, it's like, oh, my goodness, this is so cool. You know, that's like the same thing with Mariano Rivera was coming in to enter Sandman in the playoffs. Like that, you know every time you hear it, but it's in, in one of the biggest stages. Okay. I just think that would be an electrifying – and it's and even the intimidation factor, because as we know, if you watch playoff baseball, you go to a playoff game, that crowd energy is just different. It's just flat out different. And I even I, I didn't get to go to the game, but this is for example. I mean, when the Orioles and the Tigers played and it was the Orioles were down two. Delman Young comes, hits a first pitch slider down the line. I was there and you can you were there. OK, there. so what was that energy like? It was the loudest I've ever heard a stadium. I didn't know it physically could get that loud. And I think you could hear it across the city of Baltimore. It, it was like ear piercingly loud when he hit that. And yeah, I think I have a little residual ring in still. It was great. And, and, and that, that energy. And I mean, I, I went to my first game in, in Camden Yards for in the last 10 years, um, a couple of weeks ago. Um, great energy that's coming back to the ballpark, not playoff energy. It's it's just it's way different as you can see. So imagine a moment like that in one of the biggest markets in sports, in one of the biggest games of the year. Um, I promise that the trumpets. It, it's definitely I get it. It's it's getting so much head. It's getting so much headline now. Everywhere. But, but man, trumpet in the playoff would. Uh, because also people would be like jacked up, but then deep down people are going to be so amped up, but so tense being like, oh my gosh, we're here. Like, please win the game right now. It's the spectacle, but when you're there in the playoffs, it's, um, it's going to have more meaning in my I'm opinion. Just, 
I'm worried when a live rendition with Timmy Trumpet there, it worked the first time, but they were like, we want to keep having this guy back. And I'm like, if that's in like a big atmosphere, maybe a playoff game and Timmy does it live and then Diaz like like blows the save, like, I mean, that's going to go down in baseball lore as an all-time screw up. And that's going to be a meme forever. So that's, you know, it's cool. You know, every like college football this weekend, every football team had that as like their little whatever, like Nebraska had it, I think. So it's like, it's cool. It's getting overplayed. And in the playoffs, when he blows a save with it, it's going to be tragic. That's the only thing. Man, there it is. So he's blowing a save in the playoffs. I, you never know. I mean, he's uh, he's been great this year, but I'm just worried. I just worry about all the pressure that we're putting on him with, especially the live rendition. Yeah, live rendition, I get. So I get. Give me the yeah. trumpet, though. I'll overpay for a ticket. Give me the nosebleeds. <laughs> Root for the Mets. Yeah, I love it. Let's go, Mets. Uh, Brian, that's all I had. You're not going to ask him our, our last question? What was our last question? Oh, uh, what's the best what? piece of advice you've ever received? Hmm. I forgot. Best piece of I, I uh so one of the ones actually uh it was so I, I, this is a kind of a way that it can relate to everything. So when I got let go by the Orioles or the Nationals and and started my career with the Orioles and I felt awful about my mechanics and we were in short season and uh, hitting coach Tim Raines Jr., uh, who is one of my favorite coaches I've ever had. Uh, the, the the organization was talking about trying to me change a lot of things and they just said, hey, just we'll wait until the offseason to work on stuff. And, and to, uh, Rock came to me and just said, hey, uh, you know, we ain't going to worry about it. We're going to have fun. He's just such a positive, energetic guy. And I remember I was still struggling and um, I was 0 for 2 with a game and I was like 1 for 12 to start the year, 1 for 15 and really starting to press more. And I'm like, well, this is if I this is my I'm going to blow my last opportunity. Anyway, uh, I had a 34 and a half, 33 and a half ounce bat in my uh, clubhouse and I kept talking to him about it. And he goes, yeah, why don't you go grab that? And I go, Rock, I can't swing that, man. Like that, that thing is way too, that, that thing will swing me. And he goes, and he look, and you know, he's not a very tall guy, not a big guy. And he goes, look at me. He's like, if, if, if my ass can swing this, your big ass can swing this. He goes, uh, so I go in there. I'm like, all right, sure. And he goes, and what do you have to lose? So then I go in there, hit a double off the wall. I hit a homer later that game. And he goes, I told you. And then he said, look, this is the thing you got to remember. Um, your mind uh, he goes, no matter what's going on, he goes, you can feel terrible mechanically with everything, but your mind can impact um, whether you can have success. doesn't matter anything else, but your mindset. And I, I'm missing the, the full quote on it, but I just thought about that. I'm like, man, and I, I, no matter what I did then the rest of the year, if I didn't feel good, it reminded me that I have to believe that I'm good. I have to believe I'm going to find a way and that's okay. And I actually had the most fun. I felt the most confident. And that was a simple concept of there is nothing else in the world that, and all of us, we want to perfect what we do. But the reality is how many times do things go right in our lives? Not very much. Um, or it's always a grind. It's a struggle. But what you can control is your mindset. And as soon as you let, you don't have control of your mind um, or belief in yourself, it's only going to make the whole process harder. So I thank him for that. Cause I use that every day now 
of being, well, all right, I feel terrible about this, but hey, believe you can do it and your mind will help you get to where you need to go. Love it. Yeah. So it's good. And and he embarrassed me. He embarrassed me of saying I was 240 at the time. And he's like, (laughs) you know, 5'10, 5'11. So my pride was hurt that I couldn't swing the bat. But actually, to that day, then that's the bat I swung for the rest of my career. Uh, It was a log. Actually, Ryan Zimmerman model. Uh, Shout out to him. Yeah. So that's a big one. Yeah. Well, man, Ryan, we really appreciate it, man. This has been awesome. Thank you so much for your time and just talking about all sorts of stuff. Uh, can't wait to, to keep in touch and, and follow you along your retirement journey and your sports media kind of path here and to uh, mostly hear about the pickup basketball games because that's all that really matters. That's all that matters. Deal. I'll let you know. I'll keep you posted. Uh, guys, pleasure. Uh, thank you so much for having me and taking the time. And, and uh, I know we'll be, uh, we'll be connecting soon. And before we get out of here, a special thank you to the band Stick Figure for allowing us to use today's intro and outro music.